Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, 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 hello. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. My name is Alex Q, and welcome to episode 2.3 of Christmas Cast. Hey. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it. Oh my lord! That was the worst. That was the worst. Add on to the actual right. So, if anyone would like to be a new superstar co-host on Miscast, um, there's a, suddenly a new opening just opened up. So, do send your applications to the <laughs> Miscast Twitter feed, and you can be the new co-host. That was terrible. Anyway, so this is the podcast where each episode, using the expertise of my superstar co-hosts ish and special guest we will discuss tabletop topics that we hope will help improve your generalship expertise and enjoyment of your gaming experience it's the podcast that talks nonsense and that's it and it's the (laughs) podcast that's been trying to save christmas elves this week oh it's that sort of podcast so obviously it's christmas save them from what so you know when you go to like shopping malls or like just general shops like John Lewis, and they have the Santa's Grosso's mm. now. And the Santas are always like super up for it. Like just, mm. yeah, awesome Christmas. But the little like shop elves that they've just grabbed some random staff member to be an elf. Mm. Uh, the ones with, we walked past on Oxford Street the other day genuinely looked like they wanted to kill themselves. How did you, <laughs> save, them? How did you, Sorry. Save, how did you save them? 
Oh, I offered them a, a, a thing of mulled wine and a, and a hot chocolate, which then saved them from the actual queue, and they just seemed really relieved to just not be sat there having children kick their shins constantly. Mulled wine helps um, most situations, to be fair. I think... Mulled um, wine and... Yeah, sorry, Owen. Just elves have been OP for ages, so fuck them. You think that's what I should have said? I should have leaned into it and said, elves are OP, fuck yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Tell Teclis to suck one. Oh, brilliant. Um, You're a fan then, obviously, Owen. All but, yeah, so anyway, lizard, you bastards. <laughs> well, I mean, these elves were not very OP. They just had the, you know, they make them have like red cheeks and like really pointy ears and shit. And they just, just generally just look like they wanted to die. I mean, mm. I know because I, I did a um, part-time job in a um, very famous UK store. Um, selling light bulbs at Christmas, and I swear to God, the the Christmas music started at the start of November, right through to halfway through Jan, and oh, oh my word, that's too just, much. That's too much. If I heard the "It's Christmas" one more time, I would have hung someone with a light bulb. Not a fan. <laughs> it's of, even possible. <laughs> not a fan of Noddy Holder. Then no. Oh, it was fine at the start, but when when you've heard it for like. 80 times in a row. It's a bit like torture. Mm. What's your so, favourite Christmas song then, Alex? Oh, that's a good question. That Sorry, is a really good question. We're way off script here, aren't we? It's, like, the po- it's the pose for me, right? And the other day, we're driving along, the pose comes on, Alex turns it up, and I went, oh, that, you turned that up quick. And she looked around at me and went, well, they're both dead now, aren't they? <laughs> 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 That's the reason. <laughs> and Merry Christmas to you too, Alex. <laughs> uh, um, I like I like Chris Rea driving home at Christmas. That's yeah. always that's always a good yeah. One. That's a classic one. Do you know the first one that literally popped into my head mm. was um, E Seventeen. Stay now, baby. If you got that one, oh, ah, Alex. did um, our, our guest um did. David Hasselhoff's quite big in Germany, isn't he? Did, <laughs> did, he, did, he, do a, did he do a Christmas tune? Um, I actually, I, I actually, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that. There, there are some German Christmas songs, but most of, most of the time, we just have the English ones on all the time as well. Oh, I'm sorry, which is quite that. annoying. <laughs> yeah. um, I guess my favorite Christmas song is actually uh, "Christmas Tunes" from Sabaton, which is a metal band. But <laughs> oh, you go hard. That's very. Well, it's not hardcore. It's uh, quite emotional because it's about uh, Christmas truce, truce in First World War between, mm-hmm. um, okay. between yeah. Germans and, I guess, French and British. Yeah. So that's oh, quite. It's okay. uh, more in some, spirit. Uh, they, very they emotional, football, right? Is that right? That's, that's, that's the story. Sorry? They played football on Christmas Day. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh wow! And we yeah. lost on penalties. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. did lose on penalties yeah yeah unfortunately that was only in one one year of the war whereas in the next year the the um generals yeah noticed that basically in the next year they were just killing each other uh, oh was, yeah, savage uh, well there you yeah. go some some music uh highlights for the listeners i like <laughs> that maybe we should change this into a music podcast <laughs> um mariah carey actually is probably my real answer because i mean it's classic right Old five, yeah. Mm. She's um, yeah. That's uh, that's a pretty Christmas standard. What am I bought? I've listened to a lot of um, 
holly jolly Christmas this year. I think I've listened. We I hosted a Christmas party for the first time in ages. Oh, um, really? Yes, uh, in Brooklyn, which was fun, and we listened to like lots of Christmas crooning. Anyway, I've also indoctrinated lots of people into playing Warhammer. Lots of pe- there were lots of guests who were like, "Yeah, I used to do that when I was a kid." Um, <laughs> oh, so. Boom. Yeah, I'm starting a new little uh, Warhammer club in Brooklyn. So any listeners who are Brooklyn based, oh, you could um, do Street Warhammer in Brooklyn. You could just like, yeah. Bobo, <laughs> you guys did that. Yeah, yeah. I lost to Jack Armstrong because <laughs> I was pissed, and he took all my toys. Literally. <laughs> oh yeah, wasn't that playing with like a starting box and then? Playing, yeah, I had I had the Ogre Moor Tribes one, so I had a really good one. And Jack smashed yeah. that with some undead, and then if you lost a round, you gave your toys. To the to your opponent. Wow. <laughs> <clears throat> so oh, that's, that's, that's your future, Owen. That's that's what's coming up. Okay. All right. Fine. I can deal with that. Just don't play down it before the rounds, and you'll be fine. Right. Enough of this. Enough of this nonsense. <laughs> Let's do some intros. Okay. Go on. So, you've heard the first co-host, sexy serenades. He hasn't screamed out pervert or football for a while, actually, <laughs> so I probably need to change the intro. He goes by at Positive Victim on X. It's Darren Watson. Ooh. Hey, Darren. Darren. Hello, <laughs> That was a very subdued, woo, yay. <laughs> How are you? I'm grand. I've got three excellent Darren and Alex stories. Please. Like them. I told Let's you about go. them. It's Christmas. It's it's only fair. I whiz through them, but they are. I think they're hilarious. So, what's the first one? So, first one was I have been um, doing a lot of stuff over eBay for Rick Myhill and uh, Ryan. The premise being, I'm selling their shit on eBay and I get a cut. So, I was taking my most recent load down there, ten parcels, and Alex will come with me to the post office and she'll walk Freddie, our dog. It's about five, ten minutes away. And then when I'm in the post office, she will walk around the block. And hopefully by the time she's back round, I'm done posting the, the packages. So I, <laughs> she fucks off. I go in, I post my packages. I come out and I can see that she's just come around the corner and she's just crossing the road. <laughs> and I, I wave at her. <laughs> and she's carrying... She's she's got Freddie on the left side on the leash, and then she's carrying a dog shit on the other. <laughs> and it's and they're just crossing the road. And as she's crossing the road, there's a gentleman, a short gentleman, like he must be in his fifties, behind her, also crossing the road. And you kind of like when you're crossing the road, you you hurry up, don't you, a little bit, because a, a car was coming to to turn into the road. But as <laughs> just as I've started to wave. Alex has forgot she's carrying a dog shit and she's <laughs> waved back at me and she's hit him in the head with a dog shit. <laughs> 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 it was like watching a car crash. It was just perfect. <laughs> so that's the first one. <clears throat> did it hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Did it did it? Did he? Was he covered, or was he? No, no, okay, it was okay. in the bag. But you don't okay. expect to like cross the road to be slapped in the face, the shit, do you? Yeah, that's fair <laughs> enough. Okay, <clears throat> so that's brilliant. okay. So that's the, the first one. one. We'd um we'd been to um Devon at some point, and we stayed in a and B, 
and we came across um we were really impressed they've got you know when you get in there and they've all got the the teas and everything set out they had these cups that were big enough to dunk an entire biscuit in and we've not had mugs big enough to dip an entire biscuit in for a long time so we were quite excited so we were like right we must go out and treat ourselves we every month we do something to improve our lives so like a, so th- that month it would have been last month it would have been to find some mugs that are big enough to dip an entire rich tea biscuit in or a hobnob for alex so we were in B&M and we both picked up a mug that we thought would be good enough. And then we mimicked without <laughs> thinking about it, both mimicked putting an entire biscuit in the tea. Did so, you not take the biscuit with you just to check? No, we're not that organised. We're not that organised. Mm, yeah. So yeah. Uh, we've been together almost 11 years now and we don't Congrats. finish each other's sentences. We say the same thing. That's how fucking long we've been together. But now it's starting mm-hmm. to manifest itself physically where on cue we're doing the same thing. So mm-hmm. in that very same shop last week, we were queuing up for some candles because it's so fucking cold here. We're not putting on the heating. We're using candles <laughs> to heat ourselves up because we're saving. Like a Victorian water. family. Yeah. yeah. So okay. we're, in the, we're in the queue in B&M for these candles and it's fucking absolutely freezing. And I'm not sure which one of us started doing it, but one of us started like bobbing up and down. You know, when you're cold, you bob up and down. So then like the pair of us are bobbing yeah. up and down in unison. And then we go, we both go into like a trance like state in the queue and you know when you get that feeling someone's watching you? I got mm-hmm. like this feeling someone's and I look up and the cashier is just looking straight at us. <laughs> you two quite all right. <laughs> <laughs> We're bobbing up and down like psychopaths in the uh it was, yeah. So and then the third one, um, I'll tell you how I almost died recently. This is Okay. This is shocking. So we've been together, like I say, a very long time. And people that have been in long-term relationships, you probably relate to this. There's always that one thing that might end your relationship. And I know what it is for Alex. It's that I put too much food in my mouth when I eat. (laughs) It really fucks her off. (laughs) We're watching Taskmaster. And she's made some, um, some vegan meatballs and pasta for us and i always chop my meatballs in half so that i can distribute them throughout the entire meal you know i'll put a meatball have a load of pasta mushrooms cheese 10 cheese pop it all in my mouth and mm-hmm. i'm chewing on this mouthful and i'm thinking to myself i swear i put a meatball on that on that fork <laughs> and just as i had that thought something makes me laugh on taskmaster and i'm like <gasps> all right that's where the meatball is and it's gone straight down my throat Oh, my God. And the first sort of like 10 seconds, I just put my hands on the table and I'm like, I I can just fit. I can breathe a little bit. So I'm not panicking, but I can't speak. And I'm trying to work it, work it down. And Alex Mm. is looking at me like this. Like I'm some sort of of idiot. What are you doing? You know, I know exactly what's going in on her head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after 10 seconds, it it lodges down a bit further. And it's now I I can't, can't breathe at all. So I'm starting, I'm not panicking because I'm asthmatic. So I'm used to like not being able to breathe. And I'm also thinking, yeah. and I'm also thinking to myself, right, I'm choking. Let's yeah. not panic because that's not going to help the situation. But yeah. then it gets yeah. to about, I don't know, 20 seconds, 25 seconds in. And Alex is still not helping me. She's still looking at me like, <laughs> <"Hello."> <laughs> so I start banging the table like, fucking, this is serious. And then, then she like, she like breaks out of her, her trance and then starts like bashing my back. And it's still mm. not working. And at this mm. point, 
she realizes it's serious because now I start spluttering pasta all over the table. So she's really whacking my back and I'm whacking my front and my chest and I still can't breathe. I then start at this point, about 40 seconds, 50 seconds in, I start to panic. So I get up <laughs> and I bent and I'm beating my chest and, and then I bend over. And as I bend over, I vomit a load of pasta onto the floor. And then mm. Freddie immediately comes and eats it. I'm dying here. What are you doing? <laughs> But Alex, Alex has this clever idea that I'm bent over. She's like, oh, I've seen this in the movies. I'm going to try the Heimlich manoeuvre. So she comes up okay. behind me as I'm bent over. Now, you're supposed to be stood up, aren't you, for the Heimlich manoeuvre? And you're supposed yeah. to like... You well, lift she, up. He does it whilst I'm yeah. bent over. Right. So she basically spends, I don't know, 25 seconds dry humping me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's at this point, I must be about a minute 20 into not breathing. I'm going slightly mad. But I have this moment of clarity where I think to myself, this is it. I'm going to die. How absurd. The last thing I'm going to see is a dog eating my sick. The last thing I'm going to experience is my fiance dry humping the fuck out of me. <laughs> and, you'd, and, a, and a half of meatballs killed you. And well. I find it so funny that, that that dislodges it. I like, I laugh. Oh, you're literally <laughs> laughing. It just laughs out. Exactly. So like <laughs> laughter killed me and saved me all within uh... two minutes. And then afterwards, we sat back down and watched the rest of Taskmaster, and we didn't speak to each other for eight minutes. And I just went, that was fucking weird, wasn't it? <laughs> it's the most surreal. Oh, that's, that's the highlight of my year. That is... Uh, well, I mean, I'm very happy you didn't die from a meeting. Yeah, so am I. But I thought that was it. I'm um, dead. I'm wowzers. Maybe you should... Uh... For a Christmas present, you guys should go to a first aid course and learn how to do Heimlich. Learn how to do the Heimlich maneuver. Just, yeah, not... just in... I'm going to peg him to death. This is my moment. <laughs> <Fuck him. laughs> that would be quite a good uh, comedy sketch, actually. Just someone just dry humping you as a dog just eats the rest of your pasta. Oh, yeah, God, we should it do. Just, it was just so obscene. Well, I am very glad you're still alive, Darren. But. Uh... I would have visited your gravestone with some uh, half-eaten meatballs if it had Thank happened. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, dear. Right. Well, thanks for that, Darren. That's great. How are you going to that one? <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Uh, right. Let's. <laughs> right. We're going to just have to get on to the next one then, aren't we? I think so. Right. You guys know our second host. He's the sexy sock seductor himself. You can find him at... Ooh, that's a lovely bit of sockling on Instagram. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's at OJ180 on X. It's the Owen Jackson, everyone. Yeah. Hi, Owen. Ooh. Good luck following Darren. <laughs> any well, I um, any dry humping? Uh, no comment. Us? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, none of no. I can't relate to any of those stories. <laughs> um, I liked your story of the about the Yuletide log, though. That was good, uh, Darren. The, uh, the the dog log in the bag. The what? The dog log. The oh dog, yeah, he yeah. means the dog poo. Yuletide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to bring <laughs> yeah. it back to being festive. Um, no, I'm good, thank you, Alex. Uh, and you were you were telling us off off mic. You're in. USA, USA, USA. Yeah, yeah. I like it over here. It's great. They they eat loads of food. I like food. 
So, uh, yeah, I've been eating a lot of food, playing a lot of, playing quite a reasonable amount of Warhammer. Um, played in a couple of tournaments and hanging out with my girlfriend over here. So, yeah, and family. So, yeah, having a good time. Slow you went down. to Everwinter, and what was the other one you went to? Uh, du Bois. Du Bois. Oh, du Bois. Yeah, but that was fun. Mind you, yeah. it was fun. Yeah, I, because they're both quite close to each other then, I got, got quite a feel for the local meta. A lot of people come over the border from Canada, and then the northeast you know, has got quite a big gaming community. And then certainly for Everwinter, quite a few people came over from like the West Coast and Gavin was there from like the Texas area. And so it's mm. kind of, yeah, I've got a pretty good steer on the US scene. A lot of destruction players? Quite a few destruction players. <laughs> I played, yeah, that's actually at Du Bois. I played Big War three times. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. All the bigs. Not not an easy thing with beasts. Um, oh, not anymore. Americans living up to their stereotypes, then, eh? Obviously, <laughs> I think it's a really good army. It's, mm. took, I think this might be the first Warhammer reference. What are we half an hour in? Mm. So yeah, um, yeah, it's yeah, it's about yeah. right. That's Sounds fast about, for us. Sounds about right. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I played against Big War a few times, um, which was good. I think they're a really good army. Actually, I'm quite intrigued to to maybe play them myself. Mm. Uh, um, but yeah, been pushing my beasts of chaos around. Um, you beastly beasts, the same yeah. beastly beasts you were using before, the little two yeah. six yeah. man, two sixes. I think I've settled on a list now, which I really like. I've been playing a big blob of 30 Ungol Raiders, which I quite like um, to bop around the book with Dark Walkers. You can mm. put them around and you get a lot of value out of plus one to hit with them. Um, but I still think beasts is an in- interesting army. You, you, you trade a lot on a lot. It doesn't come up that often. Like people, you know, it's not a very popular army, I don't think. So it has quite a lot of value. And talking about movement, I was thinking about it in relation to beasts. And with dropping down, there isn't any. No, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I've got nothing. I've got nothing to add to this conversation because the army I currently play either teleports or deep strikes and charges. You have Um, actually the play that I'm going to mention. It's got some movement. Spoilers. Spoilers. But yeah. Um, but yeah, feeling pretty chilled and like it's the end of the year, kind of, you know, you get into that reflective mode. Yeah. Um, Darren, I haven't said it, but you're looking really well, mate. Thank you. you. I put uh, into looking well and I'm really hungover. So <laughs> great. I haven't had a drink um, for a very long time. And last night uh, was a we do like a, a binge every year, our friends. So we pretend we're like Romans. <laughs> Not with a vomitarian or anything, but we just eat what we want all day long and we drink all day long, once a year. Right. And I obviously I've been trying to um I've been trying to lose weight and improve my my health this year. That was my focus. So I've not really eaten since June because I've been intermittent fasting. So mm. it was a fucking brilliant day. <laughs> <laughs> a day of, of uh yeah, gluttony, right? Mm, mm, nice. yes. You've got to be careful you don't choke on it, though, Darren. No, no. <laughs> Alex is just watching me constantly. Yeah, chew your food, young man. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, kind of, you know, when you get to the end of the year, you look back at what's happened and what's going to happen and things like that. So mm-hmm. feeling pretty happy and reflective and oh, good life and gaming and everything. Um, and jazz. Yeah, not really. Echo doesn't like jazz. Oh, no. 
I know. So Absolutely. I've been putting on some jazz, jazz Christmas album. There's a really good Snoopy Christmas album, which is like this kind of uh, New York jazz. It doesn't sound like it's your jam, I must say, Toby. Um, but um, <laughs> there's, there's, there is Snoopy there is... as in Snoop Dogg or as in the cartoon dog. No, as in the cartoon dog, as in Snoopy and Peanuts and stuff. I was hoping for a hybrid of both. That one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a jazz Christmas record, which is going to get a, an airing, I think, over the next 24 hours. Okay. 48 hours. Has um, old Snoop Dogg recently given up weed? Yeah, but then I heard that that was just a – it was um, – it was just a promotion because he was like promoting like a smokeless coal barbecue. So he went smokeless. And then oh, it, now I, I might have turned. Oh, into it was all an ad, oh, it was all an ad thing. Oh, yeah, he's back on, back on the bong. Um, back on the bong. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, so in short, uh, my friends, I am well. Thank you very much. Very good. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Also, just talk about reflection reflecting on the past 20 minutes of this podcast we've gone from darren nearly dying to snoop dogs giving up weed i mean mm-hmm. we cover everything in this podcast so yeah, very diverse yeah, indeed diverse podcast right let's get our lovely sexy special guest in shall we yes our lovely guest today is not only an international superstar he is actually the captain of team germany and <laughs> AOS coach. Unfortunately, though, one of the first players he met uh, was actually Luke Morton, so we do have to all apologise <laughs> to uh, to Toby. And um, Toby doesn't really use Twitter, so but he does have a Twitter handle, which is at AOS Toby. Sorry, X handle. It's Toby, everyone. Yeah. Hello. Woo. Yeah. Finally, knock <laughs> some sense, yeah. into us, young man. Knock some sense into this, Toby. <laughs> Thanks very much for coming on. Thank you for How having me. How are you me. doing, Toby? You're all good? All ready for Christmas? I'm good. Uh, ready for Christmas. Not sure. I'm not too big of a Christmas person, to be honest. Um, Fair enough. But uh, ready for holidays, I would say. <laughs> so you've just, you finished work and you're all, you're all off now. You're good. You've got a bit of time off. Uh, yeah. Well, three, three or four days, basically. I have off. Mm. Ah, perfect. Well, thank you very much for coming on and talking to us. Um as you guys might have guessed from the title that my co-host absolutely fucked up at the start, um, this is about movement. Yeah. This episode's about movement. So thank you to, uh, I think it was Sean and Noah for suggesting this. Uh, we sent a tweet out asking what you, the listener, would like to listen to. Yeah. And this was the first suggestion that got most likes to say people want to hear about some movement. I hear you've been practicing your slut drops, Alex. My what, my what now? Your slut drops. My slut drops. Yeah, you move. What's a sl- yeah. what's a slut drop? <laughs> Come on, Darren. You? We're all looking at you, puzzled, mate. You've never done a slut drop before. Oh, no. I have no what? idea what the fuck you're talking about. So you like, and then you put your ass out. <laughs> so really good for an audio medium, but for for the listeners, <laughs> um, what we've just witnessed is Darren moving his chair out of the way and then doing a squat but then sticking his arse out towards the camera as he stands up. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's done a squat with a arse push. What How did that get is. there? I know it was only about movement. 10 It's a sexy oh. movement, isn't it? <laughs> nice. I know, oh, come on, Owen. I know you're high, but good grief. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, so, this is, so this is the movement episode. So we're going to talk all things movement. We're going to talk a bit about piling in and 
jamming and tagging and all that good stuff. So let's get right into it. Toby, I'll start with you. Yeah. Uh, movement. Um, uh, someone I know and speak to occasionally once said deployment is the first movement phase. Mm. So I agree. Yeah. I can't. I can't remember who said it. I think he's a bit <laughs> mental. Um, but even before that, I would say list writing is the pre-movement phase. Um, when the sort of armies, do you tend to play the similar style, style armies? Do you play kind of movement-based armies or do you tend to kind of play different stuff just to start with? Kind of. It depends what you, what you mean with movement-based. I like to play out-of-sequence move armies you could say in in general armies with tricks up their sleeves uh this can include movement uh yeah of course at the moment i like corn a lot um not just because everyone knows murder lust which is which everyone knows already Mm. um but also because um you can do you can also fight in a hero phase and have an extra move there there's lots of things there Mm. um and uh yeah or, or singe that's what i played before quite a lot um, where you can have some sneaky extra move with horror uh, with horror splitting and mm-hmm. stuff like that, um, yeah, or yeah. denying opponent's move, which is also a big part of it. Um, yeah, yeah. It's because it's harder for your opponent to visualize what's going to happen. The more tricks you've got up this, your sleeve, the harder it is for your opponent to visualize what could potentially happen, and therefore they can make more mistakes, which you can capitalize on. Yeah, I think I think we uh, this probably comes up later as well if we if we talk about it more in depth. But uh, it's not just uh, your movement; it's also disrupting your opponent's mm. uh, plans and, in this case, movement. Yeah, that's um, yeah. a lot. And so, do you find you're using those kind of techie lists um, mainly to disrupt your opponent, or do you find during your games you you you're using it kind of in your own in your own sort of turns more? I mean, it's a mix. So it does depend what what you want. So you probably so so it depends. So especially if you play a singles list, then you will face lots of different opponents who will either, for example, they want to they want to have a a strong board presence. So you use your mobility to deny their board presence to to deny their mobility. Mm. Just as turn one tagging, for example. Um, yeah. um, or you rather want to want to alpha strike yourself. So you want to do that, or you deploy in a way that they can't do this. So then this becomes often a mind game of what does your opponent know about your game plan or your army, and what mm-hmm. do you know about his army? And then at some point, um, you try to deny the things your opponent want to deny you, and then hmm. uh, it gets a bit, of course, a bit complicated. But um, I think I think uh, I like to write armies without is probably the best way to describe it, both yeah. in movement phase but also in other phases. Um, so even if my opponent tags me turn one, I don't automatically lose the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, sure. Stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, perfect. And I guess, I mean, this came up in, in the, the Twitter question. It did all this kind of jamming and locking and stuff came up as part of their question. So I guess we can go into it now, really. Um when you're locking people up, you're using. Do you tend to use these? You mentioned Zinch. You mentioned. Um, I've completely forgot what the first army you mentioned was. Corn. Oh, Corn. Uh, Corn. Um, and I guess Soulblight can do this as well with the yeah. Legion of Night stuff. Um, do you tend to think about that as you're deploying? So you're seeing your opponent's army and you're thinking, right, hmm. I can I can block them off. I can jam them off right away. Or do you find you're you're doing it more reactively depending on what your opponent does? 
So um, especially because I've played lots of teams, I usually plan that ahead before the game, actually. So, okay. for example, when I do estimations, I can already plan ahead. Uh, okay, so this guy, like, it's a slow fire slice army. Okay, I can take turn yeah. one, uh, move, for example, with Corny, you can take turn one, move in there um, and tag him uh, at the end of his, at the start of his move, uh, sorry, at the end of his hero phase. Mm-hmm. Um, so he can't move and maybe he doesn't have many, uh, much output in the shooting phase, which in Fire Slayer's case is, is, is good. So he's even locked yeah. for the combat phase. So he can't even charge something behind it. Yeah. So stuff like that. You, you can plan that ahead. Um, and then, uh, and then of course, what you need to be very aware is the deployment. So it's quite, it can be quite good for, if you have tricks up your sleeve, it can be fine. If you're low, if you're, for example, um, actually higher drops, as you can see, um, what you how your opponent's deploying and how mm-hmm. and how you can counter deploy them either in a defensive way, um, or you you play aggressive and 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 um, punch them in. Of course, this is this uh, this tactic always <laughs> kind of fails when your opponent has lo- uh, quite a bit of magic, quite a bit of shooting, then it's mm-hmm. way harder. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not impossible either. Um, depending on your army, um, yeah. but yeah, I think I think you have to decide for the moment uh, what is what is the best then in the in the situation. And I think it's uh, you can plan ahead like two three turns usually, um, yeah. but maybe two turn three. But latest, then it's basically a scramble, and you need to to decide on the fly what you do. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and you mentioned very quickly about um, the the kind of drops. Um, uh in question i think i i think that's quite interesting and i just want to see to get your take on it so for something like corn or um soul blight for for argument's sake um you've got the higher drops which enables you to kind of react to deploy in that way you can pick your kind of avenues between terrain to jam people in but on the flip side they might go before you and therefore get out of that get out of that kind of bottleneck even before you've had a chance to do so so how have you found with these kind of movement kind of techie lists, have you found it more useful to kind of see what they're doing or have you found it more useful to kind of go first and then just pin them in from the get-go? I mean, it, de- it depends on two things usually. So first of all, it depends a lot on the battle plan as well. There are battle plans where it's uh, quite strong uh, to pin in and then there are battle plans like holes where the game begins turn two, three basically and turn one does yeah. not matter as much so they have enough time to punch through. Um, and or if famous battle plan nexus collapse which is always uh, uh difficult anyway um and then it also depends a lot on how good my player is actually yeah because of course. if i know it's a very good player i know he won't fall for the easy trick okay i move eight, 16 inches and tag you turn one and then your whole army can't move yeah. if it's a good player he will be aware of it and have a screen there and the unit behind it won't be within three so i can't tag <clears> the screen this unit behind as well. Maybe yes, he all he puts in the front a unit that can retreat and charge, um, for example, as a screen. Or maybe he doesn't even have a screen because depending on my army, um, I don't want to send something big in. Um, so for example, if you have corn, you sometimes don't you can tag with blood warriors, for example, mm-hmm. which works well. But yeah. then again, there can be cases where you don't you basically have just bloodthirsters and you maybe don't want to throw them away in turn one. And there's oh, maybe six immortals card in the front. So it doesn't really matter if you tag them. So at this point, the, the, this plan doesn't really work and you'd rather go for a traditional way. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you already know what he puts there, basically, at this point. It, it can be a win-win situation for you as well, in so much as... So you you, you want to go first. 
you want them to give you the first term. But if they don't, they open themselves up to a corn double. Yep. <laughs> so you're like, oh, great, I'll go first, I'll go second, happy days. Yeah, that's that's what I usually so so basically when you write your army when you deploy you always go for both chances but of, mm. but you so what I do is I I give myself a very strong first turn so that's the important one but if I don't get it I don't put my my stuff that I'm I'm fucked anyway but mm. rather I then have a an out you could say with a double turn with Corn often it depends what aggress how aggressive your list is but often a double turn is a very very good out yeah, <laughs> because yeah. it can it can table your so many sometimes. so many options absolutely yeah just going back to your that planning question Alex as well I think mm, it yes even before deployment if you're playing not if you're playing the proper scenery rules you can plan out how your avenues as attacks where you put pieces of scenery down you can create choke points and with like impassable terrain and garrisons and stuff like that. Well, I wanted to ask a bit about this, Darren, because um, obviously there should be, you know, however many items of scenery on the board. And if you're playing these sorts of corn lists, I think it's fair to say most corn lists have quite a few units. I think that's probably fair to say um, for the... What ties? Yeah. <laughs> and so it's that mixture between... Um, kind of board presence that we're talking about, you know, having all these pieces across the board, taking control of the board, enabling you to kind of move block and stuff. But versus that, if you're very confined into kind of a, a castle or whatever, well, you can use those bottlenecks more effectively. Um, do you think, I know it's hard to say in general because everything's so different, but um, do you think these lists with kind of these these tricky movements, good movement, are better off... Um, in sort of castly type builds or do you think they're sort of better off when you've got lots of different pieces a bit chess like so you've got like more screens more more pawns i guess would be the would be the comparison do you think it's better with lots and stuff or actually do you think it's or is it just too everything's just so different you can't really generalize yeah i think it would depend on the person as well so it's not just about the army the pack the scenery that's available but it's also the type of person some people mm-hmm. can't handle having too many options they procrastinate and then they run out of time, you know. Um, so it's 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 the optimal build on paper to have like loads of units, but it might, yeah. might, not, might not suit the person. So yeah, it's a difficult question to answer. I can answer it from my perspective. Well, that I was going to say because you're you you've proclaimed yourself that you're kind of a more proactive player rather than a reactive. Yeah. So I guess then have have you used ones like Soul Blight, Corn, and therefore? You, you don't really use them reactively. You use it more as you influence your opponent rather than... I used to use corn a lot when my mm. brain was quicker. But as I've aged, I've realised that my brain isn't as quick anymore as it used to be. Yeah. So I find it too um, too complicated for me to enjoy it. So I've, in this year, you know, we were reflecting on our on our years earlier. Mm. Like the big thing that I've, that's happened this year for me is I've really reduced the model count. And I've really reduced yeah. the options and it's made my plans. My macro planning has got a lot better, yeah. but my micro hasn't. So I think armies like corn, um, if you want to use them with lots of lots of units, your micro has to be exceptional. And Toby is probably one of the best in the world at it. <laughs> Which is why I have the time, yeah. So I think um, and your um, macro is less important because the the game develops. You can have like an overall 
plan but as the game develops yeah. if you've got more options you've got more outs to to work towards and yeah, the skill sure. for the corn player is knowing what what's what's possible and keeping it all in your head i can't do that anymore i'm too fucking old i've drunk too much alcohol yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in my youth so like my brain shot to pieces but i used to really love i used to run corn and i tried to make it as complicated as possible and absolutely loved it but i can't do it anymore <laughs> i think um it's interesting listening to your talk because it's like taking corn as an example because they are a, they have some negatives to the book like a first turn battle tactic and the grand strat tends to be a problem but definitely in the context of movement um, and having units that can offer different roles like things like flesh hounds and furies furies yeah um, you know you look at the furies being put into lists quite a bit. And that is literally because of their movement stat um, primarily mm-hmm. um, and being able to use those units in multiple ways. Like it could just eff- effectively be a turn one surround and destroy, which is an often seen play, or you might sacrifice the tactic and then leverage the fact that one unit can go a minimum of 15 and then you could perhaps auto sit another one for 20 mm-hmm. and that they're an immediately like an amazing board control pinning piece um mm. so i think having and then flesh hounds to a lesser degree but i still think they they they're great for that like i you were talking toby about you know going into like a, a melee army and pinning turn one often through an invocation which is absolutely yeah. mis- misery hammer but i love it <laughs> yeah you, you know like that not only do you have those fast units which are quite cheap and throw away and then they they feed into the blood tithe mechanic but you've got things with killer instinct and murderlust like there are multiple allegiance abilities which add to that movement again um furies so as think, well move out of sequence don't they another thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah i mean it's funny all of us have mentioned because we're all like techie perverts i think we've all mentioned like out of phase movement so i was thinking about it before the start of the podcast about armies or units that have that ability um i think we can probably move on to talk about flesh eaters a lot because they seem like a really excellent movement based mm. army. Um, mm. Loads of, everyone seems to be bloody playing them at the moment as well. Um, yeah. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> my groups, but I mean, things like, um, you know, Ungor, um, I really love playing with Ungor um, with the, rather than fight, then they sort of carry away the old skink rule and like the Griff hounds moving after they've activated. Um, yeah just going all sorts of places that you don't expect. So I think building in units that aren't aren't necessarily like, oh, this is incredibly powerful or this is incredibly defensive. Mm. Often the techie units tend to be quite fragile, so they need to be played with... uh, They need to be put in the list for a precise reason and and then played very carefully. Um, And then they're often traded out, but they, they give you something very in the game which your opponent isn't expecting they're a um, thing that they're yeah. a problem that your opponent can forget you know you've 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 thrown you've thrown nine minotaurs down their throat they're not thinking about the ungor in dark raiders that can teleport and then charge that character that's ho- holding their home objective and then can just retreat away and just nick two points off them they're not thinking yeah. about that or they are in turn one but turn two was a you know turn two was scary turn three now it's turn five their red's gone forgetting these little techie players yeah. and you've got them in your back your back pocket because you can't fucking wait to do it <laughs> <laughs> definitely with the ungor in like 
specifically to the army that I'm playing, like a, a movement trick that I love is the, you know, if you only create one combat, then they can be that retreat. So I nicked an objective of an opponent. He had three ripodactyls on an objective. Yeah. And I, I could auto six run a unit to just one of them could touch it. And he was like, well, how are you going to take that off me if you can only get one? So I dark walkers four little ungor that were left from a combat. And then they always get plus one to charge when they're set up and they get plus one to charge on their war scroll. So it was a yeah. seven with a reroll. They charged in, activated them first, retreated out seven and then nicked it off them that way. So yeah, yeah I think those little plays movement isn't just like I was thinking about it earlier. Movement isn't just a delivery mechanism for, for damage. Is it like, I think, yeah. I think there's lots of, there's lots of hidden movement um, as well. Like not just, we say out of sequence move from um, from certain armies that just have them. Like, okay, you can do a normal move in a hero phase. But there's also out of uh, not necessarily out of sequence moves, but rather uh, yeah, hidden moves. Like returning slain models is what Fac is now doing very well, right? So you get mm-hmm. quite a bit of movement if just returning models. If the yeah. base is quite big, right? So there's quite a bit a bit of movement that you can you can get there, and of course um, also. Um, Breaking coherency is part of this as well. It's not necessarily that you get more movement, but it's rather um, that you... Um, reduce your opponent. Reduce, yeah, you don't reduce his movement, but you can well, deny quite range. a bit of movement, right? And well, then, add to their, they add to what you can add yeah. to what they need to get you. Yeah, exactly. Like, for example, over, over a double. And then also if you have stuff like clan rats or something, you can break currency at, once, uh, at one place and bring them back somewhere else. As well, mm, yeah, which is quite nice. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, you, so if one model mo- one model is slain, you can you can still tag an objective somewhere else with, when you bring this model back or somewhere else. Yeah, at the, yeah, yeah. The face. I've done that um, before. With um, I had forty clan rats against in this big melee, and I gutted it and I split it, so there was just one left. Yeah. And he was like, "What are you doing?" And then I killed the other twenty rats, so I had one guy left. And he ran onto the objective, you know, because he's no yeah. longer in combat anymore. Yeah, so you can yeah, get out yeah. of combat doing that as well, can't you? Yeah, famous famous Squigs tactic, I think. If you are having the six handlers and then you you attack with one with with one handler or something, and then you you ro- you roll all your six dice, you roll a one, one one handler is slain, and of course you remove the one that is tagged in combat. So yeah. suddenly your unit is free. Um, yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. There's. There's, um, well, it's not necessary. This part is not necessarily movement, but it's rather denying the because your opponent did something to deny you the movement. For example, he's blocking you with a with a sigil, which yeah. we have now in spawn corn, especially right. So you get denied there, and then you can maybe um, you can maybe do still do some tricks there. Um, yeah, yeah. So I guess it's all about thinking about movement in terms of when stuff happens to other units, like they're dying or like you're splitting horrors or whatever, whatever yeah. it's worth realizing think, the movement potential you can get out of those sorts of. I think yeah. it's always, it's always good that if, for example, especially if you have a goal, like I want this objective then think of every little movement you can do, like pylons, charges, pylons, um, dying, bringing models back, uh, every little bit uh, that can help. And then with, with all of this and, and think about all your special rules and with all of this, there's actually quite a lot of, um tricks you can do to to get the objective like owen said with the with the retreat instead of activation i was also a famous trick with legion of the first prince where you would summon back then where you would summon furies charge them in and then of course it's a nine inch charge you charge them in but then you retreat and have a three inch basically away from your opponent so the only thing he can do is charge them 
doesn't have yeah. shooting. So yeah. um, when you're considering all the little moves you can do, you should be also considering all the little moves and shenanigans your opponent can do. Yeah. You know, because a lot of the times people make plans based on what they do and then they haven't thought, oh, my opponent can pile in. Something as simple as that. You yeah. lose track of yeah. so when you're when you're visualizing, make sure you pay as much attention to your opponent's models as you do your own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that's a good point to talk about the um the the first movement phase, Darren, or the deployment phase rather. Um, because I think lots of the messages that we got were people seem people seem to get a bit stuck, and I can completely see why. They they've they've kind of planned out their kind of out of movement phase list or 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 list with no none of these sorts of you know standard movement tricks and they go to deploy and they think right i can go first and do all this stuff but then they get worried that hang on i could get doubled here and so don't want to go don't want to move too far because then they might get doubled but at the same time they then don't move far enough which then lets their opponent jam them pin them in what's what have you got any advice for people that are kind of having that like difficulty yes. trying to figure out what to whether to go too far or not far enough etc you think et you think thinking too much yeah absolutely yeah. like it depends so if you're a proactive player like do your plan you know yeah. do your plan don't worry too much and then if your plan doesn't work then reflect on it later but don't don't go into it and not do your plan <laughs> yeah yeah don't don't do anything half-assed if you go yeah. if you want to go aggressive go aggressive if you want to be if you want to just score just touch the objective one one model on two objectives, score your battle tactic and call it a day and have more time for the later turns to to think about it. Or if you want to stop your opponent from scoring, just go full ham and put everything on it. Like if, you, if you're a soul blight player and you have lots of zombies, take and you're one drop, just take first turn, drop everything and and see if your opponent can handle it. And then Yeah, yeah. Think mm, where if you that. are just touching the objective, where's the optimal place to touch that objective? So something that um Rob of the Honest War game was spoken about before is if he's taking an objective and he's only got he wants one unit he will sometimes go as far away as possible rather than just because rather than just walking onto it an inch because you're Mm. right next to it actually i'm going to run to the the far extreme because i know in two turns time my opponent's going to finally be able to charge onto that and take that objective of me but that unit's now going to be as far away from the rest of the battle line as possible so it's going to take it even longer to get back into the game so and that that that's relevant for movement. So, if you if your objective is for this unit to take this objective this turn, where's the optimal place to mm. keep it? But not for this turn, for next turn and the turn after. You could also you could stand right at the edge of the the objective, and it might mean your opponent misses a charge. Whereas if you just sloppily put you know just threw them in the middle, you you've given them an easier charge. Yeah, so don't be lazy when you're making these. They they feel like small decisions, hmm. but they can have massive impacts on the game. You know, two take two tempesters taking an extra turn to be in range for their shooting. Fucking fantastic! Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I always like to to be on the. It depends on the army, but often I also like that to be on the three inch circle. Um, just because, yeah, yeah, just just because. Even if my opponent doesn't even have deep strike or doesn't have any teleports, it's still good because it always means you can redeploy. Yes, uh, in any case. Yeah. Because as soon as he touches, because you're a nine, so you can... That's a nice basic principle as well that you're going to be able to remember throughout the game. I like that. It's like an anchor, isn't it? A a core principle. Yeah, if you're like two millimeters Mm. off the circle, then why not just go on anyway? Because otherwise your opponent can can stop or redeploy, right? One thing I like doing as well is like, for example, 
say a, a unit of 10 ungor. I use them all the time for capping early game. And you're right. You could just touch one. And then I like to have, if I, if I want to make my opponent come out as far as they want, because I always like to tease a castle apart. You know, I like to pull a castle out wide and then pick it apart with the beast's army. Mm. So I'll, I might run on or I might touch on, and then I'll always have a diagonal line running away from my opponent's army. And I'll have my hero and my banner and my, I'll have my command models right at the back. So if I am taking models, they'll always be away and then going back to the point where I'm going to keep, um, you know, my three, my three lads to rally back on fives or whatever. So that's one, you know, you just touch. Or if my opponent's got five Boingrot Bounders or five Drakespawn Knights or three Pterodactyls, I will always put six models or I'll put four models. I'll always outpoint the unit that they yeah, can move yeah. out flag with so that they then have to overcommit something else or, you know. Or risk really, fucking up. Flag yeah, yeah. Or, or, dice, yeah. or just give me that flank and just, all right, damn it, I'll, I won't go for one, two more. I'll just concentrate in the center and keep my shape or they move out of shape. So I think that one simple movement of moving 10 lads on, or I'll just put as many as I want on and move to the, to the three inch line as, as Toby described, which I really like the idea that it always gives you a redeploy. I hadn't actually considered that, but normally it would be, I don't want them to just hop on with a, with a teleporting unit or something. But yeah, even just if, as you say, if you go, right, I'm not going to go big early. I'm going to just take my five points, get my one, two more, keep my cast in place, keep my screens in place move my character up again i think movement you guys will have opinions on this but where what you commit and where you place a single wizard to stop magic dominance turn one i think that is actually something that you should always really consider like i've changed my beats list to have a very fast wizard that will have some impact later in the game but so you can right at the back yeah exactly so generally i'll be like okay i'm either gonna make them think I'm going to give them first by saying my wizards within yeah. 30 of all your lads, or I'll consciously put him out because I like, I don't really have another tactic that I want to do turn one. So I'll definitely be outside of 30 with mm. this guy. Um, and then having a model that is then fast enough to then have some impact in the rest of the game. Um, on it. I think, I think I agree with this. I think in beast, because you just have a brave shaman and the general who's off the board, I expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but otherwise, I actually think you should. Uh, if it's a different army, just always put your wizards out. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a trick against probably not too good players, but still, always put your wizards out. Say they are outside thirty, but put one hero in range who's not a wizard. Yeah, thirty yeah. of all their wizards. And then when they ask you, are you out of thirty with your wizards? You say yes. Uh, but if, uh, but you can, I can still unbind. So yeah. you have basically yeah. the best of both worlds. Or you play Legion of Night and do the trick where you heroic no, just move them. Even bloody, <laughs> just teleport everywhere anyway. Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, just that's put, even better. Just to pick up on one of those points there, Roman, because it adds a bit of strength to what I was saying. The choices where you put your command in the unit. So mm. this is future planning. This is so important. Visualize the board. Where, what's mm. going to happen if I lose seven models? Well, I don't. I've got to keep the command in the center. So that's really that's important. Every decision is important. It doesn't look important that every decision is important. And also, look where your opponent's putting their champions and their command. Because if they're one of those buggers that just takes it off and goes, oh, yeah, that's my champion. No, it's not. Your champion's dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, So mm-hmm. if they're putting their command, the next time you're playing a Beast of Chaos player and they're putting their command in the middle, you know they're not thinking on the same level that Owen Jackson is. 
brilliant. <laughs> no, but that's right. If if that would that would be a really clear signal to me that this person isn't considering the the very minute details, that's going to embolden me. Whereas if I see someone pulling an Owen Jackson, I'm going to be like, I'm, I'm going to need to concentrate more. But I, question, yeah, question I think for you, Alex. Sorry, sorry, Darren. Question no, no. For you. Like, um, you don't get to play as much as as you'd like. I think, Alex, that would be true to say. But I, whenever you do play, I know that you like playing very fast, impactful hmm. armies. You know, like I've played against you with with eels, which again are one of the fastest. And you know, at the moment, we've got these movement based armies like you know all the sharks i know that mm. they're a bit obnoxious to play against but it's not just mm. the fact that they've got exploding sixes on all of their attacks it's they do have the ultimate they're like the ultimate delivery mechanism army at the moment aren't they you just yeah. put it on the table and it's going to be able to in, inflict damage on their opponent from 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 you know from the get-go so what do you like about the really fast armies and what, what you know is that just a play style for you or you know because obviously they tend to, the faster the army, the more fragile it is. So is it? Mm. Is it well, the, supposed to be? But yeah, is it the the fact that you can dictate the tempo that you like having playing fast armies over? Yeah, more it's exactly that. I I'm um, well, we talked about this slightly before, but I guess I'm similar to to Darren in that I'm not a world champion, obviously, but I am a very you are proactive. My heart. <laughs> but I am a. Um, I, I know I'm proactive rather than reactive. So I know I, I'm not a very good reactive player, but I do like being able to, if I see a mistake in deployment or if I see something happen, I like having the ability to kind of have reach. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy I really enjoy being able to punish mistakes. And I know personally, I find it really frustrating if I'm using something and I see a mistake that I then can't, I can't do anything about it. It makes me really frustrated. It makes me physically, (laughs) I can't do anything. I've seen this thing, but I don't have the ability to move far enough or go far enough to take advantage of that mistake. And so I know that just pisses me off during, it just annoys me viscerally that I can't take advantage of that. So I make sure that I'm using Mm -hmm. something that I can take advantage of. You know, if something's in the corner in the wrong place or something's far away or if they don't do any mistakes, then I can go and kind of do my plan. Kind of what Toby Darren was saying. I, I like being able to do my thing and that's what I quite enjoy. That's I can why relate I like to that. Cause, cause uh, so I never actually played the corn lists with like lots of blood worries. Cause not, I'm not that much of a, a mortal fan more. I'm, I've always been a demon fan, but um, <laughs> nowadays I play actually quite, quite aggressive corn armies with, for example, the, Luxembourg, I went with four boom thirst, uh, three boom thirsters. Yes! yes. <laughs> and Scarbrand. What was um, your best boom moment? My best boom moment? Um, yeah. I mean, there were, there were some. I think, I think the best thing is always when you get two booms out of one thirster yeah. and you just win. I think against, uh, I don't think it was in this game, but against another big WA game, I just had the double boom and I was four heroes dead and I was in base contact in three inches with the oh. with Argus with the Vugok Prophet and he was also dead. Again with my boom faster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's 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 always that's always nice. Um and but this uh this is basically an army that comes down again to what you say, you can capitalize on your opponent's mistake. As soon as you see something you can twenty four inch move there or even more with, with some uh, with some blood tithe. 
um, with uh, Murderlust and then charge in there. And then as soon as there's, of course, a gap for the base size, that is, of course, a, a thing, then you can just kill the thing. Or um, I like putting Valkyrie in, so uh, small heroes who are fast with small base sizes mm-hmm. are also very good for capitalizing on mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, uh, it was the so last edition, for example, the from Nighthaunt, the little, uh, what was his name again? Yes. Yeah, the little guy with Lord round, roundhouse kicks everyone, depending yeah. on oh, yeah, how, many, yeah, yeah. how many models are yeah. close. That was a prime example for this. As soon as there's a little gap in the uh, that you can charge over, sometimes even, or with eels, for example, sometimes the opponent doesn't screen, or, well, he screens, but he doesn't, he's not aware that you can charge over the screen and have a place to, to mm. place your models, right? And then yeah. suddenly you get in and can punish them re- really hard. And that's where this, um, these heroes are great. And the boom thirsters then are also good if, of course, the, the eight inches um, is great. And uh, then I think what I like to have is that's where what Owen said with flash hounds. What I like to do with them is I can capitalize on capitalize on these mistakes without actually throwing away my thirster. Because what I do is I charge in my thirster uh, on a unit, and then I charge in the flash hounds, but around the back of the unit. So this mm-hmm. means that in the next turn, the, the, with the I, the thirster kills the thing, the, the uh, flash hounds pile in, and then cr- or with the pile in, create another screen for my thirster again, mm. and then ideally, oh, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. pile in a way that you actually you don't. It depends what your opponent feels, but if your opponent doesn't have three inch weapons, for example, then you can pile in in a way that you are two dot four inches in front of your thirster with every part of the flash hound base. So this means whenever he charges you. You can first roar him or stomp him, and then you can fight, whereas he can't reach you. And you do all of this after you already traded, killed one of his units. Mm. So you will always uptrade, and even more uptrade because you got a blood tithe. Mm. Um, and then, but you still need to be, of course, you need to engineer these situations. But if you can capitalize on his mistakes, then do this, and then you basically uptrade it by a lot, right? You, you, mm. you, yeah, yeah, you yeah. didn't lose anything. Um, except for maybe a few, maybe from positioning wise, you would you would also be a bit out of place. But because your stuff is fast enough, it's okay. Um, this is an example, though, of like like I say, future planning. This is something you could have thought about before just, any game, and it's a play that you can have in your pocket. And then throughout the game, as it develops, you're looking for situations where you can use these plays. Totally. So, yeah, yeah. And we think about we. Good players will be thinking about these plays that they can do with their army. So when you create a new army, so it's not just specific to Corn, this situation that Toby's describing there, because all armies have got various plays that they can make that will be like yeah. this. So find them all and then have them in your back pocket and throughout the games be looking for situations you can do it. I can I can give you another one for, for Beast, which is very similar, which and it goes to like the we could have probably have a conversation about uh using you know you talk about how deployment is the first movement phase well the charge phase is another free movement phase and it's super impactful and i don't think i see as many players doing it as i used to like to name check him i used to i learned so much from playing against sava benjamin sava when he was charging with like the no retreat bone grins bone splitters like locking up whole armies and using the charges to just Mm. corner tag things but I mean, a play that I will often do is I have I have two units of six Bulgor who obviously want to blow stuff up, 
Yeah. And anyone who knows how to play against beasts knows that you just basically they have to drop at the end of turn two or in turn two, and then fundamentally it's just like I don't I want to make you trade your bulls for something that I don't care about losing. So a way that I've found that I can get around that to a degree is that I will always power pair up six bulls with ten ungor. And the six bulls will generally detonate whatever they want to charge into. But if you make that seven inch charge with the ungor, then you know, multi-charging units so that Toby reminded me of this about the flesh hounds, using one unit as the actual killing unit and then the other unit as the protective unit. So the bulls will go in, they'll charge, they'll blow it up. Then the ungor, I've charged them in such a way that I know then that I can get a three-inch pile round. So that starts to screen the front of that. If I'm, you know, if you know that you're either not going to get the turn or you have the chance of losing the prio, I'll pile round my ungor a little bit to... start screening off the unit and then if anything gets close to that unit um redeploy it then you just redeploy the screen further around again Mm -hmm. so like using the charges um and again charging a unit to get onto an objective that your opponent wasn't expecting um you know like using a charge not to just crash into the front lines of your opponent's unit but to like touch the corner and then go somewhere crazy that they weren't expecting and zone out some of the board. I've got an example. I've got an example of this. My friend Tony, I was playing and he was like, Oh, if you ever, if you see anything that I'm doing really daft, point it out, but otherwise we'll have a a proper game. And this is, this is going back a long time ago. This is duality of death. And I was playing Seraphon. So Crocon one on the vortex that you couldn't touch the rest of my army around it. And then just a, a shaman on the other one duality of death and the point being you go get two points and then you spend the rest of the game your opponent can only get one because croaks on the other one so very simple plan my favorite um and he charged 10 boingrots onto this shaman in his turn and he surrounded it and i was like right tony here's a alert a teachable moment <laughs> like how many of those boingrots do you think it's going to take to kill that shaman with four wounds and a, an armor save of six and he's like oh one or two i was like right so put four just in case and then string the six out because you've rolled a ten towards the rest of my army so that if you win the priority you're going to be six seven inches closer to my battle line and those boingrots are going to be able to take part in the next turn whereas if you do what you've done you're not going to get there for two turns so it's future planning you know just when you're when you're moving your charges assess each situation imagine where is it going to you know at the end of this combat what's going to happen if you've got two units in like that situation you described there, Owen, what's going to happen when this unit destroys that unit and this unit's now free to to move again, unimpeded? Mm. You know, do I want to be that closer? Do I want to try and shimmy around, etc.? But you've always got to be living in the future. And this is this is the this is the this is the skill I think that separates the good from the great. You know, and if you can't, if you're not doing this at the moment. At any point within a game, stop and try to imagine the board in five minutes' time. And then try to imagine the board in 10 minutes' time, 20 minutes' time. And you'll you'll get better and better at it. But do that with movement. So fucking yeah. important. Do it, I mean, do it with deployment, but do it with movement. Yeah, and I think what's important there is uh, just sometimes people... So it depends what kind of person you are, but often I just... If people sometimes tell me, well, I don't know what where I end up with or where I end up or um, I'm not sure if I can get enough on or something like this. Mm. But it's, it's actually uh, just math it out. Like if you get yeah. this charge, like you're this far away, right? You can do this from, from the deployment. You If you 
move this far, you can run in charge, you run six, you get an average of seven inch charge, you get plus one on your charge rolls, you have an eight inch charge, you then pile in three and so on. And so you can, and then you have a base size of, I don't know, one, let's just say you are small base and you, this means you have one inch base size around one inch plus one inch base uh, space in between with less. And then you just multiply this by your models keep coherency at some places so sub- subtract a bit and suddenly you can you can actually math quite a bit out of how far mm. you can get um so yeah. with with horrors back uh, when they were more played with for example with a 30 block you would often do this you would charge in of course you need to, you math it out anyway because you have destiny dice of course you need to math it out mm-hmm. um <laughs> so so you you always calculate before and okay i need destiny dice i need an 11 no problem. I take the 11. And then with that, I string them in a way that I control all the objectives. Of course, I don't con- I don't gain control of them, but I can always deny my opponent w- in- when he gets on. And then mm-hmm. you charge in touch with one model. And then I fight. I do nothing or almost nothing. My opponent fights and I take away the first models or split them farther back. So next turn, he can fight with less, but he's still within three inches to still tag him. You can do lots of Lots of stuff there. And you can also math this out where, okay, when I split, because with the horror splitting, it's also, it follows rules where you can put them. So you can math everything out. And then with this, you can plan quite a bit ahead. And if Mm -hmm. you, um, so, so there's always, there's always prep you can do, I would say, for these situations. Toby, with that, do you, do you plan out? So lots of the comments that be made, which is obviously should be super helpful for listeners is, is a lot around visualizing and planning out what you can do so that when you come to your movement phase, you know what to do. Do you go as far as splitting it up even more than that? So, And what I mean by that is, let's say you have your horrors and you know you have a, I don't know, for argument's sake, let's just say a seven-inch charge to yeah. um, make it in. But really you need, uh, I don't know, a nine or something to really get as far as you want to. Do you plan it out to the point where if you roll under what you want, so let's say you roll the seven, so you've made it in, but it's not quite far enough to do what you want. Do you make a plan for that scenario and think, well, okay, if I roll a nine, great, I can do the things I want to. But if I roll a seven, okay, that's not what I quite wanted, but I've still got the yeah. plan ready to go for that scenario. Does that make sense? Do you I plan mean, yeah, that? You, you go for, you, you, you have plan A, which is, of course, rolled a good charge. I think scene just maybe a bad bad example, but let's say you don't have the destiny dice. You don't have yeah, the yeah, destiny sure. dice ready. You need them for your grand strategy. Yeah, um, sure. So you can't do a nine-inch charge, which happens. Um, then, yes, you first have a plan A. Before you before you even start moving, especially if there's a terrain piece, you probably you measure out where you can get, and then you also take into account, and, okay, then I can pile in, then I can split. Do I now, with all of this, can I get where I want to be um, if the if the answer is no, but it's like game winning, then then you you like do everything to get plan A going. If you are like, okay, if it doesn't work, I'll just go with plan B. It's okay. It could be worse. And you go with plan B. And then if you, um, and then usually I have like two plans. If it works or if it doesn't work, I yeah. think three plans is a bit too much. You should <laughs> it would be too much as well. Um, but it's good to have to have second plan. I would get. I, I would think. Um, I, and then- I ask it just because I've seen lots of people. I think I've. I'm sure I've done this myself. Where you need your your big hammer unit or whatever mm-hmm. to get 
you know, to get as far enough to get in. But you roll enough to make a charge or you do enough just to get in. But actually, it's probably not quite enough to do what you want them to do. But you've kind of set your mind to it and you've gone, well, hang on, I'm going to do this thing. And therefore, you still do it, but you don't get enough of the models in to actually do what you wanted to do, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's... Uh, I think it's um difficult to say but in general i um, if you don't so if it's game winning and like you you need the luck like okay you need to kill this is the battle tactic this is the last turn you need to kill this to win the game and of course you do it it, because you can always roll well maybe with just two models that can get in in contact but if there's but if it's like turn two uh you roll the charge you know you won't kill your opponent's units your opponent can then bring them back. I don't know, maybe it's squeaks or something, right? Then he brings them back and you're like, yeah. well, you gain nothing at this point, right? You rather don't charge in this case and have yeah, a second yeah, yeah. plan like, okay, I don't charge because then at least your your opponent has to do something to kill yeah. you. Otherwise, you just give it it for, for free. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, like yeah, this, yeah. At least your opponent has to go for you. You should you should always do your plans, but not, but if, if, you, can, if you can do them uh, confidently, but uh, in this case, it's the plan maybe isn't isn't the best if it relies on the big charge, and if that doesn't go off, you're in a bad place. Mm. It's not good. It's, it's so, but you, at least if it doesn't go right, make your opponent work for it rather than just giving it. Yeah, to yeah. Them the first It's good to have yeah, yeah. it's good to have second plans in general because of because of this, like an, an alternative. For example, what's what's quite good is have have like if you have a fly if you if your hammer is a flying unit, then you have a screen then. Just in case, always move the screen in front of the flying unit. It doesn't really matter if it if mm. it's not, if it's to the side, like that's not its job anyway. So just move it in front, just in case. Um, and also be aware that if you don't charge, you can always redeploy because you're not in combat. So you always have an, a little out, right? Because your opponent comes to you, you can redeploy away at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you charge sense. in and it's and you don't do enough, then you can't redeploy because you're locked in combat. So. And yeah, if you're yeah. the opponent, be wary of that nine inches when you're moving yeah. to try and deny that. <laughs> if yeah. you think he's going to pull out a six for his redeploy, then don't mm. move within nine. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's the sort of thing that people forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Darren, there's been, there were a few questions about um, jamming and kind of board presence and move blocking and all that sort of thing. Um, do you tend to... Oh, how, let me let me rephrase. Let me put this a different way. When you're writing lists and 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 thinking of jamming and move blocking, do you tend to write or use army lists with the ideal to block and jam movements, or do you tend to just you do that with lists, even if you haven't specifically thought about it? So I, I guess what I'm asking is, I, do you set out to use army lists specifically to jam block? pin stuff and therefore do you use specific units to do that or will you just be doing this in general in in kind of every game i think it's a meta relevant problem in so much as if you know there's lots of soul blight and they've got 60 zombies then i absolutely want a unit that's capable of going into them and stopping them moving and everything that's behind them mm-hmm. but if there's not a great deal of zombies there's loads of stone horns then that unit potentially is wasted so yeah. Yes and no. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. It'll be it will be it'll be what my my ultimate tournament strategy is, what am I facing in rounds four and five? Because like okay. I'm going to get I'm gonna get into a winning position. 
they're going to be my toughest games. And then I'll try to gear my army around that. And then depending on what army lists I think I'm going to be fighting in rounds four and five will depend on how much jamming I think potentially I need. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. So yeah, I think you absolutely can, but not. it's not the be all and end all. Okay. Depends, it depends how good of a player you are. If you are like, if you're a very good player, you can go with a, you could almost say one trick pony, like, okay, this is my pinning army and this does pinning, right? Yeah. You can go with that and go, can go 4 1 or something with it. Mm. If you're like, if you're, let's say, a mid table player, usually, so you go 3 2 often, it's quite risky to play this because you might not face these armies and then you will. Mm. Because this is your own, this is your game plan, right? And you only have this game plan in mind, and you maybe have problems adapting very, very fast to this, or you basically can't win by having a better skill than your opponent, um, or by because your opponent does mistakes and you do not. Um, then it's it's a bit risky to just play this this one, this have this one game plan. I pin him, and then you have an army that cannot be pinned, and you just lose. So that is a bit bad. I think putting in one two units. If if you are singles, I think putting putting in one two units with either movement shenanigans or good pinning pieces like in um, uh, the tree lord right for for order right put a tree lord mm-hmm. in to stop the pylon and then also uh, and stuff like that is, is like very last. nice mm-hmm. strike last yeah so that is very nice. Um, You've almost read my notes, Toby. I was just about <laughs> to ask. I was just about to ask what your all three of your favorite units for kind of. Jamming, pinning, movement. Oh, that's not that's not mine because it's order, and I'm I'm a chaos guy. <laughs> oh well, there we go. Well, that what what's your favorite then, Toby? If you had to pick one, you're only allowed one unit. Putting you on pinning? the spot now. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna do an out pick uh, that okay. is good against the new cities now, which everyone wants, and that is probably yeah. never almost never played, and that is in Corn Karanak, and then you summon yeah, the flash out to combat. And they also that. cannot shoot back, for example. Because okay. of the commands, there's also no counter charges. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Karanak, which is probably quite an off pick for for some people. Mm, yeah, yeah, fair enough. And that and you and again, you've kind of visualized. You have the plan for it already before you've even got to the table. Before yeah, before you yeah. even put anything down. Yeah. yeah, I think especially if you play because I play. I mostly play teams nowadays. Um, and then I think it's uh, when you build the army, you also build it for specific counters, right? You build. You have them in mind. Uh, okay, against this, I can definitely counter, so this will be a good matchup for me. And um, against all the others, I, I have some bad ones, but against all the others, I'm still fine. So, that, But you definitely have some uh, matchups where you build into. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. That makes sense. A bit like what Darren was talking about. You're, you're kind of planning for the, I guess, for you, for teams, but for Darren, that round four yeah. or five, whether you need it or not. Darren, yeah. favorite sort of movement-based, pinning, jamming, Board presence unit. Do you have one? Movement-based pinning jamming. I've, I've got one if you want. All right, Owen, do you want to go and then give Darren a bit of a chance to have a think? Sure. Um, I would just go back. To, okay, I'll give you mine and then I'll give you an opinion on something. Um, yeah. <laughs> just because it's Misery Hammer and also I think it's wonderful in the right hands and as <laughs> yeah. in teams, but uh, Glockin and Sloppity Biopiper together mm. are just yeah. like, oh, my <laughs> God, like <laughs> that combo will just win games just and it does <laughs> yeah yeah that's why we see so many of them <laughs> just like pop a little sloppity up and then counter charge um in your plague bearers and you know just stop pylons and yeah it can be you know you can just set your castle up and just completely win the game based on that one bit of movement shenanigans um yeah, yeah i've never played with it but having witnessed it 
uh, I watched Max at Six Nations play a couple of times, and I, I really liked watching that. It looked horrendous. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I, um, I played it in a team tournament with the old um, Bellacore, Kairos, whatever it's called, Legion of the First Prince, that mm-hmm. one, with Sloppity, Bellacore, Kairos, and just just can't move. Yeah. Just constantly just standing great. still. It's so annoying. But yeah. I can see Toby smiling. That was <laughs> so annoying. So annoying. Annoying <laughs> is good, yeah. I do have to say my, my the other pick I need to shout out, unfortunately, kind kind of well, not unfortunately, but uh just the sigil from Zinch, because it's mm. probably my favorite oh, yeah. well, um ever. And it's won me I don't know, it's won probably won me like half most of my games just by having it. Yeah, you beat me at Worlds because of that stupid thing. Yeah, and because, because of the tagging, Toby. Just because of the tagging yeah, that happens. Mostly, yeah. yeah, the tagging. But I think people are unaware, uh, a lot of people are unaware that it's actually a very good tagging piece, even, even if your opponent has lots of wounds, because you just put your own moon models in. So, and you create a spawn from your own models, basically. Yeah, I was about to say, for listeners who don't know what the sigil is, just quickly explain what it does so they know what we're yeah, talking so, about. So, basically, uh, it's a Zinj Endless spell that you can, uh, if you're Zinj or have the uh, the new Army of Renown, uh, yeah. Regiment of Renown, then uh, you can set it up pre-game so it cannot be unbound. And then at the end of the movement phase of any player, uh, you roll a dice for each enemy unit within nine inches of the sigil. Oh, sorry, for each unit within nine inches of the sigil. And on a four-up, the unit takes D3 mortal wounds. You roll for all the all the units. Um, after you've rolled for every everyone, you can see where slain where models were slain. And then you can set up a chaos spawn within three inches of where of a unit where a model was slain. So this means you slay, for example, one of your own Kyric Acolytes. And then you can set up a, a spawn within three inches of, for example, the other end of the Kyrie Acolytes where your opponent wants to charge you. And because the base size of the of the spawn is, uh, is quite, well, it's not that big, but two inches. So this means you can lock your opponent within three inches. So, for example, yeah, as soon yeah, as yeah. your opponent is within eight inches, usually, that's the rule of thumb, you can always stop him charging. Uh, this also means that your opponent needs to be more than nine inches away, basically, for charges, because otherwise you redeploy as well, right? Yeah. So... Basically, you can force him to always have nine-inch charges, or leave it up to luck that you don't roll the four-up. Yeah, um, so that's very strong, of course. And when you do this, because uh, this was another question we had sent in, when you're pinning and tagging people in this way, do you tend to pin units in right, front, and center so that they have to then get around you if they're retreating and out of three, or do you tend to pin tag units on the side or behind so that then they have to? move in a different direction if that makes sense yeah it depends what you want to do where you want them to go uh, if you if you don't want them to pile onto an objective that you want to take later you don't go there of course because otherwise they pile on if you want to um if you create a spawn in your opponents from your opponent's army you of course don't want to put the spawn uh close to in the direction that he wants to pile anyway so he doesn't pile into your models mm-hmm. um so you put them put it on the other side you, or usually the rule of thumb is make sure that not 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 many many models can attack the spawn or that he needs to move out of uh, out of range so for example for back then when Kairos could create a spawn you would often tag him 
attack your opponent at the backside of the or uh, uh, at the back <coughs> basically. Mm-hmm. So if he wants to kill them, at least he needs to give up some of his movement, like three inches to go to the back, right? Or stretch his arm, his, his unit out. So he loses a bit of movement there. Um, yeah. But I think yeah, if there's. Yeah, if you if you plan, for example, a multi charge in general, that's good. Not just with with sigil. If you plan a charge with one of your, if, with one of your like let's say glass hammer units, right? Um, and but you but one is not enough. You need two, or you need two combats at two different places. And you always then what what you do is what you what you explained. You basically charge, and I charge in my thurster um, on on point A against the unit, and on the other unit the other thurster. So one of them will get hit, basically, right? So you charge mm-hmm. your screen in and make sure that the screen takes the full front of the of the damage as much as possible. That works yeah. especially well if your opponent has one inch reach. Yeah. So you you charge in in a way that um, yeah, basically that he can't uh, he can maybe hit you with two or three models, yeah, right? Yeah. And he just kills the screen, which you like as corn anyway. You do murder rolls, you get you get a blood tithe. And then you can can hit him back. So and and if you have this, or um, if it comes to so I had a game la, um, two tournaments ago where there was a big squick hurt, and I charged. So they usually string for the fight fight on death that guy. They string quite far, and I actually charged where this the the string was kind of like so where the one models were keeping to currency. That's why I charged Scarbrand in, and then on the on the front of the unit. Uh, where the lots of squigs are, I basically I knew that he wanted to pile in closer to Scarborough with all of them because with, they also fight on death. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's quite a bit of movement there, and also they run away, but only two units. They need to be quite close to the units that they uh, for the mortal wounds. So then I put all my heroes around the squigs in a circle and to the in the front, yeah. <laughs> out of four inches, of course, so he can't hit them. So he can pile into he can pile into them, but he's locked then, so he doesn't want to do that anyway. But he also can't pile backwards to Scarbrand in this case. Yeah. Uh, and so you can you can then kind of lock him where he wants to pile. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he can't spread out because you're all around him, right? Yeah, yeah. Fair There's enough. lots of stuff there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Darren Severith. I was going to say that for you. I was going to say, hang on, how have you not said Severeth yet? That's my favorite as well. Yeah, go on, Darren. I've been playing with him a great deal. Um, I've been, I was, I wanted a, I noticed in early 2023 that there wasn't a great deal of shooting and it meant that people were taking, they were taking bigger and bigger units like the Gokkin, like Teclas. They were back in the meta because they couldn't be killed straight away. So I wanted to take shoot cast and take nine long strikes so that I could kill your big thing before you moved it. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) However, Stormcast aren't so good at battle tactics. And this was, I was using (laughs) this list before um, they got their recent update. So one way to solve that is Severith um, because of all the beautiful movement. He's helpful for surround and destroy. He's helpful for lead into the maelstrom. He's helpful for intimidate. Um, And he's also because when he charges, he's got movement 24 for a start. Beautiful. Then he moves another 12. So you can basically pin any unit you want that's on the board if you deploy him in the middle. Now, obviously, put him in a one drop to make sure that that reach is insane. Um, quick little side note. If you're playing against a Severith and you don't want your characters to die, don't put them within nine inches of the front line because he will just wang up there and he will shoot you. 
Yeah. <laughs> I've killed so many vampire lords because I'm waiting to see if they're within nine inches of the front line and they always do it. Brilliant. Mm. Yeah. He's fucking dead. Fuck you, Blizzard. Dead. Just so, explain that, Darren, for people that don't know what you're so talking about. You can't um you can't look out um look out, sir, if you're if you're within twelve inches. So he's got movement twenty four. So if, first of all, Severus within thirty six inches. I'm able to get within 12 inches. If you've if you've not if you've got him within the nine inches of the front line, then I can get within 12. So then I can shoot you. And Severus hits on twos, wounds on threes, rend three, damage d3. And I will sometimes prioritize killing that vampire lord with Blizzard. Then I might do the target that I'm going to shoot my nine long strikes at. So I might give Severus plus one to hit. So he's hitting on twos. I might have best aid ever him or. My list is 1950, so chances are I've got inspired. So I've got two ways of getting a profile that's twos, twos, rend three, damage d3. So on average, it's six to eight wounds to a vampire lord, for example. And most people aren't saving their all-out defense for that because I've shot nine long strikes at the dragon. Yeah. You know, and they're, they're all out defensing that. I love that. Bait and switch. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but from a, from a pinning perspective, a couple of reasons why he's so good. So firstly, you can get to anywhere. Secondly, when he charges, he can pile in six inches and he doesn't have to go towards the enemy. So you can hit one unit and then end up elsewhere. Okay. And he's got a he's got a reach of three inches on both his weapons. So both of those are going to be able to do damage to whatever you're trying to, you know, trying to pin. And also when he charges on a three plus, he does a mortal wound and you're then minus one to hit. So it mitigates the damage that's coming back to you. A nice little trick. I think Severus is really nice in INF because you can shoot them or any army or perhaps any army that can have Severus and a shark in because you can make you can shoot that unit, make it not be able to pile in and then charge Severus in it and then dodge him away. <laughs> and then they can't touch him. Fantastic. Yeah. So he's safe yeah. for a time. So it's really good over the double because if you hit the priority, you can then piss off. He's got a special rule that allows him to retreat and still charge so he can do it again. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and obviously yeah. he moves 24 anything he goes over on a three plus i take d3 mortal wounds and when he moves again with the 12 inches on the three plus he does d3 mortal wounds so you're still able to cause damage even though you've retreated and then you can charge and do it again marvelous yeah, glorious yeah, yeah. yeah he's fucking fantastic so he's really good in stormcast because he helps you with all the battle tactics, and then he's a way of slowing them down. And if you've got a shooting army, you want to slow your opponent down. The whole time they're dealing with Severith, they're not dealing with your nine long strikes, which are doing the real damage. He's also really tanky. Like a f- He's got ten wounds. He's only got a five-up armor save, but he's got a five-up ward save. And sometimes you spike. Wonderful. <laughs> Seven yeah, five yeah. pluses from ten dice. <laughs> you feel fucking great. Sometimes it happens. And when he dies, um, you do feel bad, but <laughs> they've spent, they've spent yeah. so long dealing with him that you've still got you you look down and you've still got nine long strikes you're, you're happy yeah I think it's really I good I think people do this thing where if a unit gets nerfed they automatically think oh it's no good anymore because they're comparing mm. it to how it was but that was you know so I don't think people were looking at foxes for a very long time since it changed from it moving in every shooting phase to just yeah. your shooting phase it's still fucking brilliant. Yeah, like, yeah. There's so many options against uh, if you've got some terrain that that's bigger than Severith and you're fighting shooting armies, you can fly over it, shoot, and then move back, and then you can't be shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if it's in Lumineth, it gets to go sixty inches. So if you go, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it gets to go to the next table along and fight them as well. 
exactly. I think it, I think it's a lot all uh, depending on the meta, right? Because other armies now got nerfed as well. Um, so yeah. so uh, armies that hasn't been nerfed for quite a while are popping off again. And then um, I mean that's what we are oft, often doing as coaches is basically you. Mm. You, you already you you already know the net lists, right? You the, that's not what people need. They don't need the net lists, and you're giving them net lists. You need to yeah. give them. Um, so you need to be aware of the meta first of all, and then you want to have counter pieces. And this is what 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 Darren was saying. Sarif is awesome against um, everything that needs small heroes, like Fek, for example, right? That's just mm-hmm. coming out. So sniping these heroes um, is is great, and then. Same as against movement, uh, against um, armies that have slow movement or that don't have shooting or that don't have mortal wounds in the hero phase, you can tag them in. So um, having these units to to counter the meta, the, you don't have to have a whole army to counter the meta. You can still play your Stormcast. You can still play your, uh, I don't know, your your Sylvanaf or something. And then you put one unit in to counter the meta. And the, we're talking about movement. This is now a bit... <laughs> But probably sure. not movement yeah, only, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's the same thing. You put one unit in to control this, and suddenly you open quite a lot of options for plays, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, makes sense. Well, yeah, again, the more plays you've got, the more your opponent cannot notice it, may not notice it. Yeah, or he has to. You've got to like with Severeth as well. He's got all this all this movement, thirty six inches, and then he charges and he flies, and then he piles in six, and he's got a reach of three. So like mm. he can get to a character that was behind an army that was 36 inches away yeah. or even more than that, 36, 48, 54, 57 inches potentially. Yeah. So that's I a mean, really hard thing to actually visualize yeah. when you're, when you're moving your, your models about. And again, you can be really conscious of that nine inches thing and then you get distracted. Someone buys you a beer or something, or someone asks you a rule <laughs> question, and yeah, then you yeah. do your movement phase, and then all of a sudden your character's in within nine inches of the front front row. Also, going back to movement as well, it may just be that because he's so damn fast mm-hmm. to win the game against a load of rampaging stonehorns, like yeah. on turn four or five, you just fly him in between two bits of impassable, and then yeah. like, bosh, there we go. Which you yeah. could have planned for, not before the even before deployment when you were putting the scenery down right in turn yeah. four i think the game's going to be here i'm going to have two pieces of you know you see you can be creating those situations yeah absolutely what i like when you said when you mentioned uh, the shark with the no pylon is also an oversaturation of of these things will just make your opponent uh not just for, forget about them but also even if he has is aware of all of it it does it does force him to do a bad decision in any way so i always like to play in yeah. I give my opponent. I actually don't deny all the options to my opponent. I rather give my opponent options, but whatever he does has a bad taste to it. So he can do yeah. it, but it can. It, it's always bad. There's no. There's no good decision. Yeah, it was the optimal play, and it still pisses them off. Exactly. So <laughs> that's your optimal play, and we both know that's the optimal play. But yeah. I. Uh, but but I can. So for example, that's. It was quite a while ago. But in in Prague back then, I played against um, Gear Vedelt, I think in the singles, mm-hmm. and uh, he was playing with picks, and I was playing Zinch, and it was uh, in on this battle plan where uh, I would have just got pushed in, and I would just win uh, lose by this. So um, what I did was I put all my all my monsters. So Kairos, I was back with Legion of the First Prince. Kairos, the Demon Prince. And Bellacor within 2.4 inches of my front line of horrors. 
because I knew he would charge me in. And so his the, the trade-off was he was still doing it because it was the correct play. But at least I could fight with all my heroes every combat phase because that's, yeah. well, that's what he does. He pins me in with waves. But this means I fight every combat phase with all my heroes where they don't get damaged, right? So, yeah. so, um, so yeah, basically giving your opponent options is, is sometimes fine if all of them are bad options. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> you won that game, right, Toby? I didn't win, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I, lost, I, I lost by one, pay, one, by one point against him because it was, um, was what is, would nowadays be fountains. And then, and I basically had the, the castle of 20 horror. So I'm on two objectives basically against, against all diamond jaws while he's on four and he had lower drops. So, um, so it was, it was hard uh, to win anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but you gave yourself player. an out, you played to win, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's always a few, yeah, if I won, I'm not, I can't actually remember if, uh, if it came down to priors because it was quite a while ago. But often, if you get, if you then get, if it's that close and you get one important prior, you can still win, right? So you mm, yeah, yeah. Um, Great. I think we've answered pretty much every question. There is one question remaining that we got sent. And Owen, I'm going to throw it over to you, buddy. Oh, Lord. Okay. The question was cloud or line? That was the question. <laughs> and I know what they mean. I think mm. what they're what they're trying to ask is, um, is it better to move units that you have? And I guess they're referring to kind of board presence and jamming, etc. Mm. Does it tend to be better to move units in just a straight line? Because people just do that by default. I think humans like lines. Mm. Or is it actually worth thinking about, hang on, could I do this in a u shape uh, a circle shape um, yeah i'm gonna subvert your question and say that yeah. all shapes are possible and all have wonderful reasons uh behind why you should do it um i think talking about the pinning and the tagging earlier like uh, the upside down t is probably my favorite for the charge if you're just literally looking to pin them in place because as toby described like if you do an upside down t and just touch at half an inch you know with a either a durable unit or whatever kind of unit you want, then when your opponent hits you back, then you're taking from the, the, the bottom of the T, if you know what I mean. And yeah. you're just, you always take your uh, um, your casualties to, to then sit at 2.9, so they're still tagged, and then you start to then take from the edge. So mm. amend your shape um, based on what you want to do. You Use know? shapes liberally. Yes. Like a straight line that then bridges two pieces of terrain also like thinking about moving your models and the shapes and stuff like i often am always looking especially within impassable and garrisons it's not just about like having a string of dudes that touch one bit of terrain on the left and then go and touch the other bit of terrain on the right you can make more use of your units because there's always a three inch channel which are or you know let's yeah. say a, four, a minimum a four inch channel yeah your opponent's models can't get through so you know, creating shapes to block up the board um, or block up an objective or even things like, oh, my opponent's got a vampire lord on zombie dragon. Like, there's no point in just putting a straight screen in front of that if you want to try and protect your stuff behind if you're double screening or something. Like, making it a T-shape or a weird shape to then just stop the vampire lord just flying over and landing behind Mm -hmm. you. Especially in the late game, I don't know if you guys probably, there's loads of occurrences when you're playing that it's more about like 
everyone's down to their last few pieces and it's about stopping your opponent going where they want to go. So being like, Oh, you're, um, you're, you're shark. Let's say that's a 14 inch move. So I'm going to measure the back of its base. You know, it, it can't land in this position. So that means it can't then shoot my hero that I'm trying to protect. That's cowering behind a herdstone yeah. on the other side of the board. So, Amending the shape of your your units when you move them based on the purpose of that unit is key. You know, like you don't want to give – sometimes you don't want to give a huge frontage so that they get loads of their big-based models coming and hitting you, like, I don't know, let's say some some horrors, for example, especially stuff on a 50-mil base with a one-inch range, one-inch weapon. You don't want a huge frontage so that they just come in and blow you up. You want to maybe have a little cloud or a little tight pack then because it's blocking them but not giving them loads of attacks. But then in other occasions, you might want to string that unit out as far as possible um, because you're just looking to deny um, board board position with it. So um, all shapes available. Because- all shapes, all sizes is the answer. <laughs> but I think what some people don't uh, – so what, what many people still don't do is if you have – if your opponent has flying units – is that you always tend if you do uh, if you do a cloud you always tend to do oh the models are together right they're like in base contact with each other or at least like half an inch but if your opponent has flying units like if you play against idk or stuff like that or, or in general what's stopping you from just creating so much board space with just them so doing one it well it's stopping the time is stopping you but you could basically cover lots of space if you if you even not just the front if you do everything one in, exactly one inch apart stopping your opponent from placing stuff there mm. and are tagging you in this way as well so for example when you when i want to tag something with the spawn if there's no place to position my model because yeah. your, my opponent did this um then it's it it doesn't work right so so yeah. i th- i think yeah, you can optimize Mm. so much just by how you how you, how your formation is of this unit mm. um, by, a, by the stick inch wide stick so you can put it down rather than having to measure yeah, yeah. One thing as well, yeah. Um, yeah. you made me think of as well is like for example my unit of 30 ungol raiders and talking about positioning of your command models like we talked about earlier uh, i used to do this with the old four up rally zangle blobs is i'll always have my three command units at least like four inches back from the front my command models will be four inches back from the front so you know then they're going to send in a bloodthirster who's got eight attacks twos twos d3 damage it's not mathematically possible well it is mathematically possible it's very unlikely they're going to do over like 20 something damage so i'm always going to be left with those command models back they rally on five so i'm going to take all of my even stuff like, you know, turning off Inspiring Presence within three, have your command models at the back so that you take all your casualties, you're out of combat, you can still Inspiring Presence them, and then regardless of whether you get the turn or not, you're then going to be rolling like 24 dice or something, 20 dice on fives to rally them back into the, another formation. Mm. that You can maintain your units um, when you're moving them and positioning your, your little car- your heroes, so your mm. command models within them. Same applies, I think, to shooting because if your opponent, if you if you have like one front edge and your opponent shoots from there, you take and he has multiple sh- shooting units like KO, for example, right? The boat shoots, you take away the front front most front models, and then the rest can't shoot sometimes anymore, right? Yeah. So, so then you want to string, you don't want a cloud, but it really depends on your opponent, right? 
Yeah. yeah, or like stringing to deny board movement, but you know that half of the models are going to be lost from the first shooting attack. So you take the models away, and then you hide the rest behind the wildwood that you've strung out from behind of. And mm-hmm. the possibilities yeah, yeah. are like reading the Endless battlefield. possibilities, yeah. As Darren says, like, you know, reading the battlefield from early. Like, again, setting the board up. I set up my – if I get the opportunity to, I set the wildwoods up in a in a way, in an interesting way. Sometimes it gives my opponent, like say Big War recently, I played against them. I gave my opponent um, Wildwood in their deployment zone so that they knew then that I couldn't, I wanted him to put all his characters in there. So he put his Wurgog in and that meant that I could yeet in my six Minotaurs and then his Wurgog couldn't actually see out of his own Wildwood to stare me off. Mm. Um, so yeah, manipulating your opponent with Played the... Them, yeah. Just, yeah. just on on top of that visualiz- visualization, I'm not sure if Darren approves of this sort of thing, but um, that sort of st- stopping and thinking, where is everything going to be in the next 10, 15 minutes? I found if you watch some of the various content creator YouTube channels like Season of War, shout out to those guys. If you pause it just after they've deployed and then try and visualize where you think everything's going to be. Why would I not condone two, that? That's fantastic. In two, two, three turns. You actually find that you, well, I found that you actually get better and better at it yeah, or you you're just watching. It's yeah. actually quite a, a useful tool to use their YouTube reports to then see if you can predict where it's all going to go. Yeah. Think again and again, and you get better at it, Alex. Yeah. Fucking hell, yeah. that's remarkable. <laughs> right. Um, we've actually answered every question. So thank you, everyone, for sending those in. I guess the last bit we want to do is top tips. I've got a couple of, a couple of things that I think are important. with movement. Okay, please. Yeah, yeah, go for it. I know they're not um, question-based. So first of all, pay attention to the order you move things in because think about your opponent's redeploys. You know, you've got this big hard character and you've got this little skirmishing unit. You know, if you if you move your character first, then they might, they might redeploy. Do, did you want that? Do you want to use the unit first to try and trap them off? You know, that's a, that's a very small play, but I think it's the sort of thing that good players do and poor players don't do, let's say. So think about the order you're moving things in, where you can where you can prevent people redeploying. Also, if you're the if you're if it's your opponent's turn, think about at what point do I want to redeploy? That's that's a really important redeploy is really, really important. So in their movement phase, already identify where the optimal redeployment is before they've even started their movement phase. So be thinking about it. You know, One thing I'd say as well, Darren, is uh if they ever offer you a redeploy don't fucking take it because yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> they put the model down and go, you're going to do anything. Wink, wink. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. Absolutely. So, yeah. So the move, the, the order you move stuff in is super important. The order and at the beginning of your opponent's movement phase, you should already know where the optimal redeploy is for yourself and at what point you're going to trigger it. So make that decision before it happens. And, you know, you can, if it there's 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 loads of time to think within your opponent's turn when they're going through their hero phase so be thinking that far ahead earlier okay and then tabletop movement sort of etiquette like at the beginning of the game one of the things that i will discuss with my opponent now is i really hate wobbly tape measure so people that put their tape measures above the models and that from their viewpoint they're moving Mm. within but even if they get an extra half inch that could give you an extra one on the dice to get in 
and it, it fucking matters. So put your fucking tape, tape measure on the table. <laughs> so no, no fast tape measure movements. And the moment you notice it, act on it. You're not being rude. You're not a bad gamer. You've noticed your opponent has done something you think's not great. Rather than wait two or three turns, by then it's had an impact on the game. Yeah. By then, you, and now you resent them. Now you're frustrated with them. If you just have that nice, gentle, like, can you? Can we just slow down the movement a bit? You're going a bit quick. Do it the moment you notice it. Um, yeah. And on the flip side of that, if your opponent notices you, be absolutely fine with it because you've probably made a mistake as well because you're only fucking human. But yeah, yeah, yeah. very movement matters. Sloppy, sloppy movement is no good for either of you. And the moment you notice it, address it because you'll just end up resenting it. And imagine at the end of the game, you'd be like, oh, that fucker got an extra inch on me. And that really mattered. You know, that's no... You'd... You might play a right pedant like me and I'll be all salty. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I think to, to, to just um, circumvent that or to just yeah stop that, always be very vocal, I think, uh, in it. So just So before you even touch your model, just measure yeah. beforehand. Okay, we are, I don't know, 28 inches away. I yeah, move yeah. 10. There, so, that's the, so that's 18 inches away. Stuff yeah. like that. So I can shoot you, or we are less than eight. We are 17.8 and you pre-measure everything. So it yeah. doesn't, even if you, if you, because it, it's sometimes stressful for yourself if you have to move your 30 models each exactly 10 yeah. inches, like by a millimeter. And it depends what player you play. If you, If your opponent is a bit is a bit salty as soon as one more shoots because it is important. The one guy who shoot could kill your hero, which yeah, yeah, sure, can win yeah. the game. So oh, it's only a couple of extra attacks. No, fuck off. Yeah, so so be vocal no about attacks. it beforehand, um, before the, the the thing happens. If uh, especially if you if you try to charge somewhere um, and you want to pile in, or maybe your opponent has a screen and you notice there's a space that is, for example, where you didn't screen off properly against your two-inch weapon. There's like because what people sometimes do is they screen, but they are not aware that the that bases are actually a bit rounded. So yeah. sometimes with the tip you can get somewhere in, and you notice it, then measure this beforehand. See, and you can tell him, look, this is two inches. Yes, you can be a bit of a of of a dick and don't tell him, and then just catch him out. That is possible if you're so sure about everything. Maybe it is impossible. Uh, maybe it is important in this case. Um, but uh, usually I go just go with the way I tell them, look, if I charge there, I can reach, correct? And they. If it's a then, competitive game, though, you're not being a dick. Like, yeah, if it's, it's a nice casual game. I think it depends how close it is. If it's like, if you measure and you're sure it's 1.9.5, like it's mm. super close then mm. you should rather, judge. you should rather, yeah, just get a judge or something. Don't argue, but, judge immediately. Yeah, but I think <laughs> in, in general, be vocal about stuff. And when you, when you screen, like when I played you, Owen, at Worlds, when, when I did, when, when, when we played, we were very vocal about, okay, I moved this far up. So my heroes are like 18 inches or, or not, more than nine inches behind my screen. So you cannot shoot them with your 18 inches if you, if you land nine inches away. Stuff like that. And if you are this vocal, the game is just smoother. Um, so it's more enjoyable, right? And it, Yeah, and it's way more enjoyable. And both you players may, can play more accurate as well. You may come across attitudes like, oh, I didn't realize we're having that sort of game. Or, oh, I didn't, you know, you're a tryhard. The bare minimum, even if you're playing narrative, like the bare minimum is that you play the fucking rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, that's the bare minimum of sportsmanship. One one thing I picked up, Darren, um, is from the Danes, actually, 
and I really like it. And it's like any any model. Okay, my my um my unit of Ungor they move seven, and I'm going to auto six them, so they're going to move thirteen. They don't get the plus one because that would be mm. cheap. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I will mark at thirteen. I'll be like, right, this is as far as I'm going to move. And if I tweak, I'm always going to be tweaking backwards because that's it. But this is my mark, yeah. my yeah. three inch mark down on the table. And yeah, this is the potential. Yeah. yeah, this is the potential, not that kind of move and then a few little Bring back. Yeah. And yeah, all that. Like, yeah. I, don't, yeah, I don't mind a little bit of tweak, but I will only ever tweak backwards. And that's a nice tip. And another one I saw, I think it was Dennis from the Swedish team um, at uh, Six Nations recently. He had, you could tell he did it all the time. And like his pigs, I think pigs move nine inches, right? Mm. Is that right? They uh, yeah. 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 I nodded I, like I knew then. No he idea. he would do this thing <laughs> where he would put the back of his nine inch marker right on the front of the unit of pigs, and then he would like basically drop the the mark the, the the nine inch gauge down and then rock it up so it was then sitting like vertically on the table, and then that's when he would be moving his models, and they would literally hit the front of his his gauge every time. Hmm. So he had this kind of rhythmic thing where he was constantly like putting the, the the guy down, like the nine-inch marker down, rocking it up, and then moving the model to perfectly mm-hmm. buck to it. And, like, you could tell that he just played all his games like that. And it was one of the cleanest yeah. games of Warhammer mm-hmm. I've seen from a movement perspective, just because there was never any ambiguity around how he was moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Great. And if you, if, you, if you do that, you encourage your opponent to do that. Exactly, right? yeah. You lead mm-hmm. by example, right? Yeah. Totally. Great. I think that- right. Let's do some top tips, biggest mistakes. We'll go round. In fact, Owen, let's start with you as you're just talking. Top tips or biggest mistakes for movement? Uh, state your intention at all times. Get a load of nine-inch markers out and be like, "I'm." for me, it's super important with beasts. I'm like, I'm not triggering a redeploy anywhere on this table. So I will just yeah. put the markers out. And then, so yeah, clear intent um, on movement. Um, and... Um, just from a list writing perspective in terms of movement, then like choose. I always, now that we're really into the addition, people are fucking good at the game and they know what their army does and they know how to get all their battle tactics. So putting in units that have specific roles, like your furies in your corn for that term on battle tactic, or um, I I basically write lists now where I'll take things and their movement characteristic and their base size is more important than any of their output or some cool spell or the way they synergize with something else. So um, prioritizing movement um, in the list writing stage, I would say there's a, a couple of great a couple of tips that I might have. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Darren, top tip, biggest mistake. If you're playing at a tournament where there's preset terrain. Always get to the table before any fucker, right? Because that stops mm-hmm. people cheating and moving the terrain to their advantage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then secondly, measure between pieces of terrain. So you've got like a a mental map. And this this is a bit counterintuitive to what Owen said there, always sort of um, state your intent, etc. Sometimes you want to hide your intent. Mm-hmm. So the more you measuring, the more you're that signaling to your opponent that model's going to end up there eventually Mm -hmm. so if you've got an idea of how thing how far pieces of scenery are apart and you know that this castle between this point and this point is 19 inches i've got a six inch move i'm now going to be 13 inches from there don't have to measure it Mm. so that can just so you don't signal to your opponent that's where you're going to try and end up see it's 
I think I think that's maybe something that I pay a bit more attention to them. Than, than yeah, I, I know what you mean. You're trying to not tell people what you're going to do, basically. Yeah. Yeah, so play absolutely play to intent, but not to the point where you're signalling what you're going to be doing. Mm. You know, you want to try and you want to keep some mystery. You know, yeah, yeah. Like when you're when you're wooing a lady <laughs> or a bloke. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know um, mystery. <laughs> perfect, perfect. And um, is that your mistake, Darren, or is that my mistake? No. Oh, what is my my mistake with movement? Um, just not addressing sloppy movement immediately like i see it so many times like oh he just kept doing it why don't you fucking tell him or then why don't you tell them the moment you notice it because if if also if someone gets away with something like say they are dodgy and they get away with it that emboldens them to keep doing it Mm, like if you signal like please stop moving quickly stop using your floaty tape measure stop pulling it out and then putting it back before i can even check what you're saying (laughs) then then that's going to prevent them they're you're you're signaling you're paying attention so they're going to be you know less less naughty in the future yeah Yeah, so be aware pay as much attention to your own movement as your opponents toby top tip biggest mistake so got any so top tip, I would say I'm I'm building on top of what Darren said with this being mysterious about your move. I think sometimes if you know you're playing a very good player, he's in your head already because he knows your army all as as well, right? He knows what to play. He knows how to counter it. He knows your tricks. So what is the best then? You do you do the like the battle tactic says bait and traps. You actually bait him sometimes into things that he does. That mm-hmm. that that so. So you sometimes bait that you made a mistake, but in reality, it's not a mistake. It's you bait him in. So that is probably mm-hmm. a top tip. That is very dangerous, though. Always That's very be aware. That's that very satisfying. That's when it works, isn't it? Yeah, it is very dangerous. But yeah, so so I did this in the but past. Sometimes you have to play unexpectedly, out. don't you? Yes. You, you do. If, you, if, everyone, if everyone's sound and the, the dice are average, you've got oh, yeah. to make something happen. Certainly if you're behind in the matchup as well. So if you have a player like Alex who wants to punish mistakes, you purposefully do something that seems like a mistake, and then you blizzard his 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 turtle off turn turn two. <laughs> oh, Toby, you'd smash me! I'd pull straight into it. I'd be right in there. I'd be straight in there. I'd be right in there, and you just yeah, exactly. Send yeah, it. <laughs> Great. And any mistakes at all, Toby? Um, Top mistake you see people I think, making I think a lot. I, I've got I've got two things. So first of all. Mm. Think of the battle plan a lot because it changes the game massively, how you deploy, how you do everything. So deep deployment, for example, changes it massively. Don't say, oh, this is a bad matchup before you don't even know which battle plan you're playing because you can you can win against any army if the battle plan is good for you or if the bad, bad, bad for them, right? So um, and I think the other one is something that even good players sometimes do just because you have you can do the movement like we've talked about all of this just because you mm-hmm. can do it doesn't mean you always should but mm-hmm. that's just something i uh, i i i played recently just a, a test game and then i bloodbinded something and then after the bloodbind because i wasn't uh, I, I didn't measure it out before and i made uh, i made the mistake there right of not doing what i what i tell people to do and <laughs> then suddenly my move my pieces couldn't move around the screen and uh, around his screen that i wanted to put to push away so I can charge over them 
but my my bases were too big and I couldn't move around it. So I had this movement shenanigan that I used, which was actually quite bad to use in this case. Yeah, yeah. Just because if you roll the 12 in charge, don't always take it. It Sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. don't even roll it, even if you want to know if it would go, because then you are you have to make a tough decision that you wouldn't even do otherwise. So it's not yeah, part of the yeah. game plan. Just yeah. because you have Obi, to... Would you- would you say don't get too excited? Mm-hmm. Yeah, say. sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I think so. You got it in, Alex. You got it in. <laughs> right. Well, that leads me on to our final section, which obviously is Darren's favourite section. So please, Darren. The plays! Thank you very much. So this is the plays slash misplays section. Um, who would like to go first? Can I tell you how Owen ripped my guts out? Please. I don't know what you're going to say here, Darren. So <laughs> We're playing an exhibition game at the LGT, right? And I went into it thinking, oh, this will be a lovely, a lovely, friendly game. So sat down at lunch with Owen, explained my army full and, through and through. And he's sitting there, he's like, oh, yeah, okay, brilliant, brilliant. And he tells me a couple of his, his tricks. And then we play the game, and he absolutely rinses me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's this... so. I hadn't really figured out mo- – so I I only really played against nine balls before, and I hadn't – it hadn't done the, the mental arithmetic. And this is this is probably something that's really simple for, for Beastman players, I imagine. This is a play that they do all the time, but I hadn't seen it. And I've probably heard about it as well, but it, hearing something and experiencing it are two different things. So there's a situation where I've crammed all my Stormcasts into the middle of the board, and I want to win turn two priority and force Owen to come onto the board. But that doesn't happen. Owen's a priority and obviously he gives it away. So I do, I do fuck all. Of course he does. Um, and, and for the, for listeners, the Owen is punching the air right now. Just so you know. <laughs> He's got, I've, there's scenery all around and I've got like, there's a, there's a rock here, uh, two rocks to the side and a rock here. So there's so like North, South, East, West, basically. Yeah, right? correct. Yeah. So I, I've got a situation where I've got some like liberators blocking up one place some tempesters blocking up another bastion in another and i'm like trying to encourage him to come in and i'm thinking if i win the priority then i'm gonna shoot him with nine long strikes and it's gonna be a great game um and what i don't notice is that the terrain is like a they're like rocks so like they they bulb us out and then they go in right at the bottom Mm -hmm. so i've moved up my liberators oh liberators and judicators actually um and Owen comes down and he attacks both sides. And where this is important, his base can get under the piece of scenery. I hadn't mm. noticed it, and Owen had. It's a fair play. I could have simply moved my models closer to it, and it meant that he could get within an inch of my liberators with both units of his balls. Mm. And obviously he does more, enough mortal wounds to kill them. Yeah. And then he gets his um, lead cow to then charge in the charge phase into my long strikes. And it just absolutely guts me. He, t- he takes like 800 points out. And I hadn't seen it, and I was livid. <laughs> <laughs> Owen didn't tell me to watch out for it, though. Bear in mind, we're about to play a lovely game. He's just taking the piss out of me here. I, was like, I gave him everything. <laughs> it's just fucking, oh, that's handy. Thank, that's good knowledge, Darren Wright. Bang. I think I told that's you really everything I have to do, Darren. He did know you smashed me fair play, he, and you saw that you saw that like minutia, and I, I I didn't. So that's I've got no problem with it. I just I don't like fucking losing, and I don't like losing that badly. I did think I brought it back because right at the end I could have drawn with him if I made an eleven inch charge and killed this big unit. 
Mm. And I rolled the dice and I rolled a seven. So I got under the table and threw the dice backwards and heard everyone gasp because now we've got a crowd. And I hit the fucking 11 and I get up and Owen's face is fucking thunder. <laughs> there's a there's a there's like a three percent chance Darren's going to draw and he's fucking livid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, long story short, Owen, Owen beat me. <laughs> but, but then you, we had the same matchup, table five at Coventry, and you. I'd learned a lot. I learned a lot. I mean, I got. Oh, on that on that note, I I had the luckiest game I've had ever against Owen. Every from turn two onwards, there was a there was a point where Owen went right. I'm going to use these um, Swedish and something else dice to do my charges, and I went, oh, you know, I fucking hate special dice. And he went, oh, I'm going to do it. He rolled an eleven and a double six, and I was fuming. I was yeah. Fucking but I can't believe he's done this to me. And from that, and Owen went, and rightly so. No, Darren, I'm I'm a nice guy. And I was like, yeah, of course you are. But he did pick me up on being a salty fucker. And then from that moment onwards, everything I did was perfect, beautiful. Everything was- to the point where I forgot to. Owen's battle tactic was kill three long strikes. Okay, and his plan was to jump, um, jump across with his um, thirty guys, shoot them, and then charge in. And I've forgotten to rally. So Owen went, okay, it's not, the game's not progressed. He very kindly offered to let me rally. I'm oh, sorry, I had, I had four long strikes and there was two to, two to go. So he let me rally out of sequence, which is very kind of him. Bear in mind, it's really, you know, it's going to be difficult. And this is his battle tactic. So then I roll the dice. The first one's instantly a six and the other one's spinning, to which Owen goes, oh, for fuck's sake, Darren, won't you fucking fail something? As his head comes down. The other one that's spinning lands on a six. And I, had to hide it <laughs> <in the table. laughs> I was like, "Fucking hell, he's gonna, he's gonna kill me!" And I didn't well, take it. it back. I didn't back. take it. I didn't. I was like, "That's too much, Owen." I'm so sorry, but everything I've done, everything was just a bit. Everything was spot on, wasn't it? Like, if it was a redeploy, it was a five. If it was, yeah. if it was a two armor saves of five plus, it was both saved. And everything yeah, yeah. Owen did failed by an inch. Yes, yeah, it, yeah, it was just yeah, one of those. Everything games. was just great for me. Like I say, from that moment onwards, like someone was like, "I'm going to teach you a lesson, Darren." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he didn't. It it got me to Atlanta, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, made, it made me feel it's so bad that I had to get rid of a double six rally because it was just too much. <laughs> <It> was too- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> great, right, Owen? Play, misplay. Um. Mm, probably over in America, I've done quite a lot of just out of like that. It's the same play again. I don't think it's that much of a great play if I keep doing it all the time, but the, the doom ball command abilities just has so much value. Um, so for example, you know, you charge, you blow up a little hero that they're screening with. And, you know, I've denied unleash hells into things like big blobs of, you know, I, Big blobs of bliss barb archers, um, wrapping KO boats. So not even going for the charge. Like in my list writing, I'm at 1960 generally. So I have the bloodthirsty triumph. Yeah. So I've got my bull seven away from a KO boat that I've cleared the screen out of the way in the, you know, with the shooting from the raiders. And then, yeah, just, um, just combat phase charging, denying the overwatch. When you charge in the combat phase as well, you obviously apply the damage at the end, the impact damage. So often, you know, I'm like blowing up an Arcanaut Admiral, which happens at the end of the phase, but then putting all of the bulls into into an ironclad blowing up. Ah, so you know where that damage has gone, so you yeah. can then put the other damage appropriately. 
Yeah, and and generally when I wrap, then if they don't have prudency shoots, then they haven't got enough room to jump out, like say a bunch of Endron riggers or thunderers. The only thing they can ever really jump out is a little character. So I'll apply the the the, the impact damage to the character and then pump the boat off, and then all the du- the dudes inside die because the boat's wrapped. Yeah. Um, so that's always that's the you know. best, isn't it? When they lose an ironclad and fifteen other fuckers, and you like, yeah, well, well, right, you <laughs> <"Hey>, bastard, <laughs> and then they lose the, the same way in the next turn. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> um, and then my misplay was um, taking uh, the offer of a THC gummy at the start of round one of Everwinter. And having a very spangly game of Warhammer against Sam Gould. I looked across the table at him. He was playing Seraphon um, and uh, Starborn. And um, I was like, I'm sorry, man. I was like, I'm all over the place. And then he was like, don't worry, Owen. I had the same gummies. We're fine. (laughs) (laughs) Did the the models start talking to you at any point? Yeah, uh... that's... Croak was just laughing at me, yeah, floating around. He regretted painting your Seraphon and all those light colours. Yeah. Although in right. that game, I did use the charge. Uh, I my doom bull charged in and one banged uh, the slan off to deny the grand strategy, and I beat him on grand strat. So um, it worked. Yes, the gummy, the gummy worked. Perfect. The gummy worked. To- Toby misplays or plays? Um, I guess misplays. The one I just mentioned, I think, where I where I pulled a unit and then it denied yeah. me more movement than it, than it needed. Was that so automatic just, mode? Do you think you'd done yeah, it so many times? Uh, it was yeah. just like yeah. I can pull. I'm gonna pull. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do it because I can. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So that was that wasn't in, in real. So that was just a test game. So it wasn't that big of a deal because it wasn't on a tournament. Um, I think. Uh, and then the other thing is that uh, the, my la- the the biggest tournament here in Germany that was a, a six round tournament here, the Raccoon Rumble. And uh, I was um, I'm not the best with hangovers, but I still went drinking, and that wasn't good because then it was after the first. So they had one game on Friday, and then you can and then so it's just one round, and then you still have like there was 170 people, so there was still lots of people on winning bracket. But I faced uh, in the end the winner of the tournament. <laughs> Uh, but I was I was still drunk almost when when I got there and we were playing on clock on stream everything and of course that didn't end up well um, so I lost that game so that was definitely a big misplay there. So was the misplay not to continue drinking? Probably yeah, but you cared less. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah, but <laughs> the time was still a problem. Would have still been a problem because I I chat a lot when I get drunk. So great. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think yeah, I think. Awesome best place would be um so one was at my last tournament in luxembourg um a team tournament where i had uh, enough summoning points to summon blood letters which is usually 20 blood letters usually to go to summon for corn but instead i i summoned a cannon and uh, that was very good because i my thirst i had to kill a hero this was the battle tactic um because he slayed my general beforehand so but the hero was on a one-up save so it was a bit dicey so then I summoned the cannon, shot four wounds off that hero from eight. That was the guy on Karkodrak. Ka- Ka- then charged the cannon into two untamed beasts uh, that were remaining from a unit. The, yes. the cannon killed the untamed beasts. Then yes. it could shoot in the hero phase. And I killed the mm-hmm. Chaos Saucer Lord in the back line, which taught me <laughs> my grand strategy with the shooting. So, yeah. And then I'll do the hero. 
Then later you boomed, right? Sounds like a dreamy game. Yeah, and then I got my, and then he, the, the cannon basically, because I get two blood ties from heroes, basically got his points back, the five summoning points right away as well. Wow. So that was, that was a big play there. And I think the other one is, um, which is also more a community thing, is that my last, the last big tournament I played, two players who were there for their first tournament and round one against a Gargan player. And um, he figured out that because I had the Germany shirt on that I, I was on the team. And I think he, <laughs> he, he, was, he was very hell-bent on just keeping the game going for five rounds, just to tell his wife that he played against the captain for five rounds. Uh. <laughs> it, was, it was a very lovely game still. Um, of course, he, he made mistakes, but that's fine. But he had a lovely gla- game. And in the end, he killed my Scarburn with his, with his giant. So that was a, so from a narrative standpoint, it was very great for him. And there was another game that I played against a newcomer in the tournament scene. And um, they described it as the best game they had in the tournament. And they learned a lot. And that means mm-hmm. a lot to me, especially in a, in a scene that is, we're not super small, but we are still growing. So it's mm-hmm. very important that new players have a, have a very positive experience, especially on tournaments. And mm-hmm. um, uh, if they also learn something in addition, then it's just the best you can have because um, uh, since uh, when when I look at worlds or in competition to other countries, I want don't it it doesn't help me if the eight people I choose are good, but then next year they just don't play anymore. So I want yeah. to bring the whole country forward. And if you show people that competitive can be fun, uh, uh, you can learn something. It, it is entertaining, and that's just uh, that's just all we need, basically. Right, and people get better. Ship. Yeah, yeah, great, perfect, right. Um, for mine, I think Owen, you're going to have to help me with this because I think it'd be remiss of us not to mention our lovely I like to team move Sweden it. team, Sweden gentlemen that mm. came up to you at the tournament and said, "I think I'm too excited." Yes. So, Owen, do you want to do my play for me with this with our team, Sweden uh, oh, friend? God. I can't remember his name, so I'm really sorry, but he played. Seraphon, and he played in a Seraphon mirror against the creator of AOS, Mo Ashraf, who is our Seraphon mm. player on the world. Shout out Mo to creator of AOS. Thank you very much for all your service. Yeah, and um, yeah, he basically he he um, the the Swedish player effectively had turn one, did a load of damage, and then Mo um, didn't screen out as well as he would have wanted to, and his opponent saw an in. And just, yeah, teleported Croak into the middle of the army and just blew everything up doing silly Croak things. And, um, yeah, then stopped me after the game and just said that, um, yeah, he couldn't help himself because he he got too excited. (laughs) (laughs) But if you get get too excited, then you sometimes get a 20-0. Sometimes you immediately lose, but, you know, he put himself in a position and, um, yeah, he felt like he had to tell me that, which was great. (laughs) <laughs> so there you go. The moral of the story is sometimes getting too excited is the right thing to do. Yeah. So. On that note, if you listen and um, anything resonates with you and it helps, do let us know because it makes us feel great. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah, please do. It's actually really nice to hear from people that they've either done something or done a tip or made the same mistake or whatever. Um, actually, it's really nice to hear because then it helps us kind of um, record uh, better episodes yeah, for you guys. Keep yeah, going. exactly. So that's it for our Christmas Christmas cast episode. God, I nearly buggered it up there. So ah. all that's left for me to say is, um, Toby, 
thank you very much for coming on. That was awesome. Yes, thanks for having me. Yeah, so thank you very much. That, and thank you for all those wonderful tips. I'll be listening back myself. Um, Owen, Darren, thank you as always. Pleasure. And have a lovely Christmas. And to all of you guys listening, um, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for kind of joining us on this kind of podcast journey and listening to us this year. Um, it's been absolutely amazing. I think Owen wants to say something very quickly. The Swedish player's name was Abbe. There we go. So I was trying to, to find Abbe. it on, on Twitch. Yeah. Well, so, thank yeah. you very much, Abbe. Yeah. Sorry to but, um, yeah, as I said to all the listeners, thank you for all your messages. Thank you for all your really kind comments. We do all appreciate it. Um, so all that's left for me to say is uh, Merry Miss Christmas. Have a lovely <laughs> new year. <laughs> and Merry be kind, Christmas. look after each other, and we'll catch you all next time. So cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider træt af alle de der podcast og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmakle.